Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 260 of At Odds with Wrestling. Joe and Adam here. Adam, hello. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, very, very tired. So if you hear a, a sipping sound, it is me drinking coffee and not hitting the fish tank. Mm. But no, don't worry about me. How are you feeling? I'm doing good. You know, um, I feel as though because I'm back out amongst polite society and I had several people reach out to me and ask me how me and the family are doing again. Thank you very much. Um, uh, to everyone who's reached out, your check is in the mail. Mm. Um, but you know, I was, you know, I mentioned it on after dark this week. If you go listen to Longbox here's after dark when it comes out on Friday, unless you're a long box here's Patreon, whatever. Um, but I'm negative, no symptoms, no nothing since Tuesday. I'm doing good. Um, Asa had this kicked like on his fourth day of having it. Like he was fine. Like last Thursday, he was like, Oh, I'm ready to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he went back to school this week. He's been wearing a mask. We went bowling today, which is why we're late, but early. Um, you know, we still wore masks out there because, you know, just try to do our best and everything. Even when, when I went to go get my comics uptown this week, I wore my mask. April, however, is still uh, lingering. She's got, like, the tiniest bit of a cough left. And this morning, she's still tested positive. Like, she has no symptoms. She's got no fever. She's got no nothing. But she's still tested positive. So, again, we're all just still trying to be careful, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. The, the first time I had COVID, I have kind of felt sick to my stomach for half a day. And then I was fine after that. Like no symptoms after the the first day, but that was early, early, early days of COVID. So the importer exporter business gave me like three weeks paid off because they're oh, like they're... get away from us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the second time I got COVID, thanks Alvac, was <laughs> the second time I got COVID. I was like legit sick, like you were for probably like a week. So and, and both times I was vaccinated. So no rhyme or reason. Yeah, like I said, you know, I, I had the booster whenever. Who knows when you're supposed to re-up on the boosters, that sort of thing. Um, you mentioned LVAC, of course, a couple people put out there. Uh, again, I don't know who, you know, privately a couple people said they they got it after this weekend and they were on the show as, like, wrestlers and stuff or oh, shit. People, people as part of the show, right? And a couple people put it out there publicly. I know Matt Mikowski said that he has it. Um, he had to pull off some bookings this weekend. Um, so yeah, um, how are you feeling? How was the show <laughs> live? How was the live experience? Let's get into that for LBAC um, this past weekend. I'll just say I, I feel fine, and I think it's all of those vegans and their lowered immune system. Maybe oh, if my they goodness. some meats, uh, they would be able to withstand some viruses. Um, I will get into uh, most of the story of my LVAC journey uh, during weekly purchases. So, sorry, Ed, you're going to have to stay for the stuff portion of the show if you want to hear me talk about uh, Wheeler Yuta. But... Uh, I went with our buddy Dave, uh, who's gone to a couple LVAC shows and met up with Brett and DJ and Doug. And uh, it was a good time. Like, I enjoy, like, Steel Stacks is a great venue. I would say that because I was kind of lingering near the gimmicks tables a little bit longer than I normally would, I wasn't up as close as I would have liked. And for whatever reason, this particular show, they must have bust in the tallest indie wrestling fans 
that you have ever seen in your entire life. And like, you've seen a picture of me next to the boar. The boar's nearly seven feet tall. So I'm like six, 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 seven. Like I'm freakishly tall. And these people that were in the front of the standing room only section had to be like a foot taller than me. So the first half of the show, I was getting pissy because of that. Like I couldn't see, I was on my tippy toes. And this one guy who was in front of me, like, I'm trying to, like, look to his, like, the over his one shoulder, and he kept swaying back and forth, back and forth, standing. So if he sways to the right, I have to kind of shimmy over to the left so I can look over his left shoulder. Then 10 seconds later, he shimmies over the other direction. After, like, an hour, I was like, will you stop fucking swaying? And he turned and looked at me, and then he stopped. I should have did it at the beginning, but I waited until my nerves were shot. But... <laughs> First half of the show, okay. There were some good matches. There were some matches I looked at uh, somebody that I was with, and I was like, really? And they're like, you normally drink on the for LVAC shows. I was like, oh, that's right. That, that makes sense. Uh, but the second half of the show brought me back completely. I uh, had a really good time. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the entire night was ruined, Joe. Uh-oh. Because once again, Ian Riccoboni... Couldn't get that Mark photo. Couldn't find him. Couldn't find him. I followed your advice. I tweeted at him, and uh, he clicked like on it. I stuck around afterwards for a little bit, and uh, to the point where like the Steel Stacks crew was like, "Everybody, get out! Get out! Get out!" And uh, never saw him. And then I did my uh, sad Arrested Development walk out of the building. I am very sorry that you did not get your Mark picture with Ian Riccoboni. Hopefully, uh, another opportunity. Ooh, there's that word again. Yeah, uh, will arise. And I'll say this, you know, obviously I wasn't at the show, of course. I was homesick. Um, but I will say, um, at the very least, next time I'm at a show and he's there, I will make it a point to get you two crazy kids together. Just have the boss hand me his envelope and I'll walk it over to him. Gotcha. <laughs> so he has to see me to get paid. Right. And uh, seal the envelope just it's just for the best. <laughs> But no, I appreciate any help there. This is three shows in a row that I'm uh, striking out here. So I um, I watched most of the show. I'll be honest with you, I did skip around to the more you know to the stuff that was like um, angle heavy, storyline heavy. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, the stuff okay. that ha- that's important for Elvac Canon. You know. Yeah, Elvac Canon. That's the best way to uh, uh, get that taken care of. Um, but I thought the show was good. You know, I always lament. Um, you know, it was a bigger show than usual. I think it was like eight matches or whatever it was. I know a lot of times the boss feels as though when there's no bands, they need to like kind of jam up the show a little bit. And, you know, it's not my, it's not my show. It's not my anything. Right. So the boss is going to do what the boss is going to do, you know? Yeah. It definitely felt longer than like a Soulful show. So it felt significantly longer. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but just where like, I feel like, and again, it might be the fact that. I'm 12 drinks in on, on a Sokol show by halftime, but um, I feel like a Sokol show, it's over before you know it. And this one, I, I felt like it was like, maybe it was just the situation of standing behind tall people, but like I was checking my watch more. And it's not an indictment on the quality of the matches or anything, but it was just, it, it definitely felt longer. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but it's streaming on uh, Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium. Definitely go check it out. Um, excuse me. 
Yeah, there's. Yeah. I mean, there's the main event was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Speedball versus LSG. I think it's LSG. I've never heard of that gentleman before that match, and uh, he was really impressive. I enjoyed that. And uh, Max the Impaler, they're super impressive and scary in person. So uh, definitely a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, lots of business exposing pictures of you taking Mark pictures with people, you know? <laughs> yeah, but again, we'll get into that later on in the show. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, thanks everyone who checked it out, went to the show, uh, checked it out on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, that sort of thing. So let's get into uh, the bulk of our show. How about that? Let's do it. Did I not grab the... It's like this day in wrestling history. How is it? Hang on. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's try this. And now, at odds with wrestling presents this day in wrestling history. I feel like that's exactly what I did. I, you know, so. It was, it was it was very close. Very close. <laughs> you, it's impossible to differentiate which one was the DeWiki jingle and which one was me. Yeah. So, hey, we're going to go backwards. We're going to go most recent to uh, oldest, right? Okay. Uh, so, on this day, wrestling history, um, 20 years ago, from Hershey, Pennsylvania, World Wrestling Entertainment held their Unforgiven pay-per-view. No, I know where Hershey is. Featuring such matches as Al Snow and Jonathan Coachman versus Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross for the right to be the commentators of Monday Night Raw. Oh, I'm sure that was uh, seven stars of the Tokyo Dome. Kane versus Shane McMahon in the last man standing match. Uh, How Uh, many quads did Shane have? uh, I think he had them all, Uh, but this was the build. This was the match, the build to this. Uh, was a segment on Raw of Kane hooking up a car battery to Shane's testicles and electrocuting him. Okay. All right. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, main event was Goldberg versus Triple H, title versus career. Uh, that if Goldberg did not win, his career in the World Wrestling Entertainment would be over. And the title could change hands on a disqualification or countout. Well, I feel like uh, Goldberg wrestled after that, so he probably won. He did win. Uh, And and this was more or less because Triple H was injured. Uh, We talked about it last month for SummerSlam in the Elimination Chamber. I was always under the impression that he was wearing those special tights because he was off cycle and it was to cover his roid gut. Uh, (laughs) I was informed that it was a different unrelated injury, but he still worked the following month because... God forbid we lose the title to Goldberg. When you're injured and you lose the title to Goldberg in the Elimination Chamber, that you draw this storyline out for another month while you're still injured, put on a shit match with Goldberg at this pay-per-view, and have him win the title there. Yeah. Uh, Weren't they talking about it on Major Pod this week? It was like compression shorts? Something like that. Yeah, Yeah. because he had like a terrible fig based on it. But go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but the match, I would say, that was um, uh, up the alley of a certain podcaster on this show, um, there was a match between Test and Scott Steiner, <gasps> where the the winner of this match retained the managerial services of Stacey Keebler. We'll call it that. All right. <laughs> I'll oh, just say, if it was you in that match, it would have turned into a shoot real quick. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I remember uh, they had like a music video prom- like building up to that match, which was very odd for like a lower mid card match. It was uh, I forget the bit crossfade stupid girl, I think was the song. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it was like your typical like early 2000s rock. But uh, yeah, oh, great, great segments. Uh, yeah. I like Stacy Keebler. I don't know if I've ever said that before. Once or twice you've mentioned it, yes. All right. <laughs> All right. So also on this day in wrestling history, 21 years ago, because I'm old, Ring of Honor held their first ever unscripted event. Oh, they didn't. They just went out and worked on the fly. Well, the, the show wasn't entitled unscripted at this point. Um, it was originally supposed to be to crown the first ever Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Uh, it had matches announced of Paul London and Spanky were supposed to be in the tag team t- tournament. American Dragon was supposed to take on Steve Carino in a singles match. And Mike Modest, who you would know from Beyond the Mat, uh, right. he's the guy who JR told he needed to put a little size on, uh, get in the hunt. Yeah, it's an upper body business, huh? That's right. We're supposed to take on uh, Takeo Omori from the uh, Pro Wrestling Noah promotion. However, as would happen quite oftenly during this time, Steve Carino and Spanky were pulled to go work Zero One shows. Also, Boogaloo, who was one half of the Natural Born Sinners with Homicide, decided to no-show this event opting to go exclusive with XPW, and we see how this turned out for both of those people with their respective careers 21 years on. Which is why I've not I've never heard of either one of them. You've never heard of Homicide? No, the, I thought the, the his partner that no-showed. Right, I, Boogaloo, I, yes. Yeah, I didn't know Homicide. You, homicide showed up, right? Homicide showed up, and this That's was like I'm the saying. beginning of his singles push in Ring of Honor, yes. Yeah, no, I'm saying, never mind, just that one guy. All right, Continue. so they have to flip the card around, change some things, and uh, I was at the show live. Uh, however, I missed the opening promo that kind of explained what was going on with the show, and I missed the opening match of Christopher Daniels and Donovan Morgan against the SAT because I got a flat tire on the turnpike. And you had to wait for an adult to come and change it for you? No, it just took it. Like, I, I like, got a flat <laughs> tire, I pulled over. It took forever to change the tire because I think it was raining this day, so it was a pain in the ass. But, like, we always leave early anyway, but, like, obviously changing a tire on the turnpike put me behind schedule, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the only two things of note, the tag title tournament ends up being a bust, whatever. Uh, I say go out of your way to see, watch, however you can, the Paul London versus Michael Shane street fight match. Uh, this is the match that makes Paul London's career, and it's crazy to think now, 21 years on, he's still on the indies and is still a madman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's probably madder than ever, you know? <laughs> yes. And this is also a... Okay, so this has low-key defending the Ring of Honor world title against Xavier. Now, I know, I don't know if you saw... Um, discussion yesterday today in regards to xavier being a former ring of honor world champion no i like to stay away from social media now okay well i only mentioned it because of course you know today's the 21st anniversary of him him winning the belt but also people may have mentioned it in a web exclusive uh promo post-match sort of thing right Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I want to say this. So I don't want to cast any dispersions on Xavier. Xavier was a fantastic wrestler. He just didn't. The, he was positioned wrong in Ring of Honor. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he beats Loki for the title in this match. Up to this point, he was very clearly low middle card where he was regularly trading losses with people like Scoot Andrews, the Black Nature Boy, and Little Guido, right? <laughs> so, so he's 2002's Matt Taven. Okay, sure. So he, they do a vignette where they set up to do a match with him and Loki for the title. Now, him and Loki a year prior in a company called USA Pro that ran out of like the New York Queens area, they had like a series of matches that are amazing and still hold up today, right? Maybe the maybe they could be shaved by like eight to ten minutes. They go a little long, but whatever, right? Sure. So Xavier comes in off of that reputation, off of that reputation with those matches with low key, and this match has worked like as a slow mat based even contest until Christopher Daniels and the prophecy come out distract the referee. Now at this time, this was a pre um, like ring of honor is famous for having like those big boards that the people would slap on. Right. Mm -hmm. So this was pre that and their ringside guardrail was essentially like fencing, like cyclone fencing on posts that had like cement bottoms. Right. Or am I painting (laughs) a picture of what this is? Yeah. Very shindy. Go on. Okay. So, Christopher Daniels, the prophecy, come out and distract the referee. Xavier and Loki are brawling on the outside. This is to, you know, so the, the referee breaks up the count and doesn't see what's about to happen. Xavier breaks one of the pillars away from the, the guardrail and picks up one of the pylon things and lightly drops it on Loki's chest and gets back into the ring. So Loki rolls in at 19. And Xavier just pins him, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, no finisher, no big explosive match like we've seen out of these two. And now Xavier's the champion. And it's like, it went over like a fart in church. And there's people today that, like, the fans turned on Xavier, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, the fans did turn on Xavier because he was booked like shit in Ring of Honor. Yeah, so it's like... it. It can almost be forgiven if, hey, here's this guy who's kind of like a mid-carder, like you said, been trading losses with, you know, nobody's. If he goes out there and has a banger match and wins in an impressive impressive fashion, you can kind of be like, all right, he's he earned it, you know? Right. But to have a, a shitty match for a non-remarkable wrestle, wrestler, then I can understand how that would piss people off. Exactly. All right. Uh, so, again, uh, you know, watch the Paul London-Michael Shane match. It's really good. I'm sure it's out on YouTube somewhere. Um, Xavier's still awesome. Rest in peace. It just, he got a he got a raw deal in Ring of Honor, you know? Yeah, started him off already in a hole, you know? Exactly, exactly. It wasn't his fault. Yeah. So now we have our head-to-head Monday Night Raw versus uh, Monday Nitro 25 years ago. And uh, one show is a little busier than the other. Raw's taped. And I'll say this. Raw found the formula, right? Okay. They got Austin. They got Undertaker. They got Kane. That's your top storyline with Vince. Then you got your, like, number two storyline 
which is The Rock and Mankind and Ken Shamrock, and that's kind of percolating, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got something to do. I don't want to say that it wasn't good, but they found the formula, and they're not going to change it. They're going to keep doing what they're doing because they're winning now, right? Sure. I, I also see Al Snow's on that card once again. Right. So there's going to be a lot is, of Al Snow on this podcast, just forewarning. Oh, shit. <laughs> so this is the continuation of the storyline that's been going on since May, where Al Snow has been trying to get his job back in the world wrestling entertainment. And by defeating Sergeant Slaughter on Raw in a boot camp match four months after he's returned to the WWF, he finally gets a WWF contract. <laughs> As long as WWE never after this does any storylines where you have to win your contract back, is that then it's okay. As long as it was just this one time. Okay. Make um, <laughs> X-Pac also beats uh, D'Lo Brown for the European title okay. on the show. But more importantly, as we played last week, we get another vignette for a soon-to-be-debuting character. Excellent. No sensitive skin foaming gel. No <laughs> dual gliding twin blade action. Lesser men flick their fancy shicks. This man goes rugged when it comes to eliminating stubble. He's Stephen Regal, a real man's man. <laughs> so I like the bit in this where they show him shaving in the woods, right? Of course. And like he's supposed to be holding a mirror, right? And if you look at this shot right here, okay, he's very clearly supposed to be holding a mirror, okay? Yeah, it looks like like a broken shard of a mirror. And right, so then what's left of it. we get this shot later where they shoot through it, and he's just, like, shaving himself on, like, a, like an eighth of a piece of metal, I guess? Well, I mean, if that piece is still reflective, it's really all you need. Sure. You know, he's a man's man, Joe. We wouldn't know what it's like. We need a full mirror. We're not a real man's man. That's true. <laughs> William Regal was. Uh, so uh, this uh, Nitro, however, a lot of things are happening on this Nitro. Now, I didn't grab a clip of this, but this is one of those famous moments, and I say famous, infamous moments uh, in Nitro history. There was a uh, Raven and Canyon match versus Vianos. More on them on the Patreon show. <laughs> and they went to do like a neckbreaker powerbomb sort of thing. And they screwed up. And uh, the Viano that they gave it to got a stinger. And they had to just like end the match immediately. Okay. I vaguely and, remember that. Yeah, it was a bad situation. But like I said, Nitro's in, the, in, a, in arrears now. They're playing catch up. So they're trying to do something. Okay. And they have three big storylines going on. And I'm going to go from least important to most important. And some of these clips are a little long. All so right. you'll have to bear with me. Yep. Least important. <laughs> we are going to have our feature battle a little bit. Oh, no. Smoke everywhere. Up in smoke. Thank you, Tony. Wait, that could mean only one thing. <laughs> really, just one thing? The warrior is here somewhere as well. The smoke monster from Lost. But where? Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. That, it's Scott Hall. No, that is that the <laughs> disciple? 
That looks like the disciple. The disciple Scott Hall was nothing alike. When the warrior grabbed him and disappeared. Has he been held captive for the last week by the leader of the OWN, the one warrior nation, the warrior? Well, whoever had him uh, realized he wasn't suitable and brought him back. Yeah, but they had him for a week now. And as you look at our crowd here on hand, he apparently is out cold face down in the ring here. Oh, there's a guy with he was done up as Wolfpack Stan. He's not yeah. moving. And here comes Hollywood Hogan and Bishop. Now this is a direct slap in the face for the New World Order. And they don't like it. As a matter of fact, it's not just Hogan and Bishop. It's the entire NWO, black and white. The giant. The Warriors' mind games continue as he stays one step ahead of Hollywood Hogan. Oh, no. And the NWO black and white. Going again. back up with smoke. Filling up again. Once again, Thanks, the ring man. fills up. Hogan cannot even get to the disciple. Oh, look, the lights. Maybe they'll all disappear. The lights flickering in. Where'd he go, Joe? Smoke, he's gone! <laughs> Scott Steiner poses. Speed racer! Where is he? Hogan! Speed speed to me, warrior! Did he call him Speed Racer? Yes, he did call him Speed Racer. And there he is! Where are you, you maggot? Uh-oh, Scott Steiner should be. <laughs> and, and look at this! As you have said, Hogan! There has been running over here, Hogan. Just look for the warrior signal. I know. <laughs> the giant spotlight. They, they just turned it off. There he is. This has nothing to do with him. Give me my disciple back, warrior. Then I tell you what. If you got any guts. Wait, how do you get up there? Finish. What you ran away from eight years ago. Get your butt down here, and I'll beat it right now. How did the disciple get up to the raft? Okay. This has everything to do with you, Hogan. And as you say, there has been running. You've been running to hide while I've been running to reappear. <laughs> Tell the truth, lawyer. You're a coward. Tell all my NWOites that you live in fear of Hollywood. Tell them, you coward. The power of the Warriors bows to nothing or no one. I, Hogan, have been running to reappear. To start as I will tonight. Take from you all the possessions which you believe have value in your life. Just like Samoa Joe is going to take everything. Hogan, <laughs> I start with what you believe is your most committed follower, the disciple. As you can see, Hogan, he kneels beside me, for he has not yet been instilled with the power of the warriors. But I want you, Hogan, 
to keep a close eye throughout this evening for the OWN revolution broadens its scope while the plot of Halloween Havoc thickens. And I can guarantee you, Hogan, you and all you worship will feel the power of the warrior. Get down here right now, warrior. Listen this thing right here. Get down here, warrior. I'm going to come up and rip your lungs out. Get down here, you coward. The mind games continue from the warrior on Nitro. It looks like the warrior's going to have to uh, take the disciple, put him in the lake of reincarnation, you know, give him a ride on Skarsgård, the dilapidated boat, you know, give him a so, full reboot. Right. Again, uh, very Matt Hardy, broken Matt Hardy-esque. Um, and this storyline, you know, we got till Halloween Havoc and then it goes like a week or two after Halloween Havoc. And yeah, a great investment, a great right. few month investment, a fantastic investment. Now that's uh, your, you know, your number three most important storyline going on in WCW. Now again, there's another little bit of a longer clip, but I couldn't figure out where to cut this, so it's worth it. This is the number two most important storyline that's going on at WCW at this time, 25 years ago. All right. And speaking of history, I want to apologize on behalf of Ric Flair. No, Ric Flair will not be here tonight. Oh, wait a minute. Because Ric Flair, although he does have a contract, Ric Flair made a big mistake. First of all, he came out here and said some things he shouldn't have said on my television show. And secondly, Ric Flair mistakenly believes that because he has a contract, that gives him the right to wrestle on my show. You know, this is real. Uh, this is a uh, part of the storyline because he's not wearing his polo tucked into jeans. <laughs> yeah, he's got the NWO shirt. So, you know, that this is Bischoff the character. That's right. Also, shout out Liz. Arn Anderson yeah. <laughs> wasn't able to win the right for Flair to wrestle. Oh, so uh, Thunder. It was set up two weeks ago on Thunder that for. Uh, Ric Flair to come back, period. Arn Anderson had to arm wrestle Eric Bischoff, and Arn Anderson had to use his dead arm, his bad arm, right? <laughs> okay, was was Orndorff not available? <laughs> no. So then they get it changed to Arn can use his regular arm as opposed to the injured arm, and then Bischoff replaces himself in the arm wrestling thing with Buff Bagwell. Okay. Okay. Thunder. It, it, that's... I was going to say, like, that's how they want you to think that these things are a shoot, uh -huh. you know, but then it's like, hey, the person that I'm threatening to fire and I won't let on my TV show, me being Eric Bischoff, executive producer of WCW, uh, I will let him earn a way into it with a match or a competition, you know, makes no sense. You got to blur the lines. All right. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned... While I can't stop him from showing up and grabbing a microphone, I can sure stop him from ever putting his boots on and wrestling again. And you know what? I'm doing it for his own good. Because That's at this stage of his career, the last thing he needs is to be stepping into the ring and wrestling again. <laughs> Where was he at that Crockett last match? <laughs> I just want to say Eric sounds a little drunk. 
Eh, nothing wrong with that. All right. Arn Anderson should never wrestle again. The four horsemen are history. This is my company. I will decide who wrestles, when they wrestle, and as Eddie Guerrero found out, <laughs> where they wrestle. So once again, for the very delusional Ric Flair and the history buffs around the world that think like him, I hear hoofs. And you're watching wrestling and you look at the horsemen, you're like, God, they're so cool. They're like the way we talked about Patrick Swayze in our Patreon Roadhouse thing. We're just like right. in awe. But like if you this is the year 98, if you're like, I don't care whether you're 16 or you're 22 or you're 35, you're not looking at that group of horsemen and being like, oh, man, they're so cool. I want to be them. You know, <laughs> they just okay. look like dorks, old or dorks. So Benoit and Malenko just look like nerds. Okay. Benoit and Malenko do look like nerds. I'll give you that much, right? Uh But when they're running these towns where, like, WCW is still NWA and Jim Crockett promotions to some people, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fans that they haven't run off yet that still, like, want to be Ric Flair, you know? Yeah, I get it. But you're not, like, it does nothing for attracting New fans, you I know, you. working outside the territory. Just an observation, well, but go ahead. Well, this thing that Bischoff is doing here, like, people argue that he was the heel uh, person in charge of the company before Vince was Mr. McMahon. Mm-hmm. But we're now five months into Vince being Mr. McMahon at this point. So Eric doing it on this show just feels like a cheap imitation. Yeah, and I don't exactly remember all of the beats of the payoff to this, and obviously we have another five minutes left in this clip, Right. but at no point do I remember, like, if you're going to, as the heel authority figure, you want to knock down the baby faces only for them to come out triumphant, and I don't remember there being, like, the horseman standing triumphant over the NWO or Bischoff, you know? We'll get there. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Security. That's who he's talking about. Is they've stopped him. They've stopped the horseman from getting to the ring. Doug Dillinger, who's been in charge of our security for a number of years, a retired Charlotte, North Carolina police officer, and he and Ric Flair go way, way back, even before there was an Eric Bischoff on the scene. Uh, 
that Doug has recruited his security officers from the Charlotte, North Carolina police force. What's he's letting him through? He's stepping aside. He stepped aside is what he did. He's letting Slayer walk through the All cops are back. I'll tell you. <laughs> Not him. And Doug Dillinger made a, a bold decision in the face of his boss. Wow, this could affect his job. Now, again, here's the brave Eric Bischoff standing up to five other guys, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's all booked, like, so wrong. Like, he should be, like, running away, cutting his half of the promo from the crowd or back up on the ramp or something. Or he should have the rest of the NWO in there, not just Liz, you know? Or have that security force there to protect him and that be their gimmick rather than letting the horseman pass by, you know? Yeah, something. Anyway. If there's anything left to affect here... All right, they like. Right, because that's what I was double-checking was, like, they're in Sacramento for this, uh -huh. and, like, these towns, these people were into the horsemen. They were into Ric Flair. You know, say what you will, like, once Sting and Lex Luger joined the NWO Wolfpack, like, DDP was, like, the sole guy who was a WCW guy. So WCW, yeah. at this point, was looked at as, like, the third brand within WCW, behind NW Wolfpack, NW Hollywood, right? It was their NXT. So Flair coming back, being like the voice of WCW itself, the voice of tradition, NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, and everything else like that, the people that were fans of that sort of thing are into this sort of thing. Yeah, no, I got you. Two little words, and they're standing as one in the Fleet Center. They're glad to see the Nature Boy back foiling in that yeah. ring. With who, Mike? What are you going to do, Flair? Let, Let, me Let me see if I understand the president of WCW. He said Ric Flair wasn't here tonight. He's lied again. Somewhere along the line, he said, the horsemen are dead. You lied again. Because if I'm not mistaken, there's an old pro tackle with a Super Bowl ring who's 6'5 and 280, and he's a horseman. There is the man of a thousand holes who had a choice in life. I know somebody that's a thousand and four words. That came to him and came to me and said, Ric Flair, blow by Bischoff. Stand up. Be a man, Ric Flair. Be a horseman again. And I am. Now, let's talk about the guy that fully wants to beat you up as bad as I do. But because 
tonight we're going to talk to you, Bischoff. No one gets hurt. Then let's go to the enforcer who on a bad day would have rolled you up tighter than Dick's hat man, smoked you, and stepped on you like a roach. Because you have abuse of power. <laughs> you. Uh-oh. <laughs> Come on, Rick. You. Come on, put it right there. No. no. I don't hit executives in Nike tennis shoes, blue jeans, and NWO shirts. I laugh at them. Come on, Rick. Come on. Right there. You want to do it. You want it, Rick. Do it. Please do it. Do it for all of us. Do it. Yeah. I want it. And she wants Space Mountain. But it ain't going to happen tonight. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to pipe you tonight because I don't have another two million bucks that's the only reason that you're not picking your teeth up right now i just want an excuse to play an unhinged rick flair pro okay <laughs> i mean he didn't elbow drop his coat so i kind of feel let down now i'm gonna vet these clips a little bit better in the future but right. adam number one we got, we got our c story we got our b story we got our a story you want to set the world on fire. You want to take the reins back from the World Wrestling Entertainment on Monday nights 25 years ago. This is what you do. I was doing it. I didn't think it would hurt to try. I never thought I'd become addicted to Monday Night Jericho. <laughs> I never imagined that I, like millions of others, would become a Jericho-holic. Turn off the lights. I'm filming commercials. You're ruining everything. Stop the camera. Get your Jericho Holics Anonymous T-shirt for only twenty dollars. Call one eight hundred WCW eight six six one or write to the address on your screen. I gotta call that number. Here. Stop it. <laughs> so <laughs> I gotta call that number or send a postcard to that address. <laughs> the Jericho thing started in January. Okay. Yeah. It hit. It's like it started to hit the peak in like March. And now here we are, after months of him coming on TV with his own airbrushed version of that shirt. Finally, they're selling the Monday Night Jericho t-shirt. Yeah, well, better late than never. I'll give him credit for that, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, I want that shirt. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think, like, obviously I complain a lot about there not being, like, there's too many bootleg new gen era shirts and there needs to be like the ones that i want but i'm trying to think which do i want more a monday night jericho or uh paparazzi production that's that's tough um oh. i would say paparazzi production yeah i mean it is a more obscure thing so that's that it's got a point for that you know somebody knows what that is you know they're a real one all right but i don't know love jericho always yep. have always will never had a bad match no bad takes take me back jericho <laughs> all right well, that's enough history stuff let's get in the last week what would you like uh where uh, where would you like to begin actually you know what 
Um, am I starting first this week, or are you starting first this week? Um, I have been asking for weeks uh, for me to finally go first. Okay. And, um, you did graciously allow me to go first this one time, but, Joe, I'm going to let you go first this week. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, so, obviously, usually I like to save the biggest thing for last, uh, but I-, I would be remiss not to mention what just happened this past Wednesday night. It started the show on Dynamite. It couldn't have been better. A a a greater moment in all of professional wrestling I can't think of. Finally, after 17 long years, the rivalry between Eddie Kingston and Claudio Castagnoli has finally come to a head. Uh, They mentioned on TV that they had wrestled singles matches 12 times or 13 times. And like Eddie had won two of them up until last night. But this was the most important one because now Eddie not only is the New Japan strong champion, he's also the Ring of Honor world title, world champion. Hell yeah. Uh, The the match was amazing. I'm biased. I got no qualms about that. I've been very clear over these last 260 episodes in regards to my feelings and my relationship with Eddie Kingston. Um I thought the match was great. I thought the moment was great. Um, and it was a great way to start off the show for uh, Dynamite, especially what would happen on the rest of the show, of course. Um, yeah, I don't know. Are we, you want to spend the next eight hours talking about this or what's up? <laughs> we easily could. Uh, I, I I tried to make it a point to watch Dynamite live because I knew there was a with it being at Arthur Ashe, like I expected a lot of big things to happen. And obviously I said last week, I knew uh, there's no way Eddie Kingston's not walking out of there, the ring of honor world champion. But for whatever reason, I was about 15 minutes behind. So in order to avoid spoilers, because I will look at my phone out of instinct, even if I'm behind, like I'll be like, okay, Adam, stay away from Twitter, but then I'll find myself on like Facebook or whatever, Instagram. So I knew that was going to happen. So I literally, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not bullshitting. I put my phone in the other room so I wouldn't go to look at it uh, because I was so worried that it would be spoiled for me. And to see it open the show and the reaction that Eddie Kingston got much deserved, and then for it to be an awesome shit kicker match where they just slapped the shit out of each other and just hit each other until they broke down. And then, uh, and the reaction, not only from the fans that were there, but the fans on the internet who understand that Eddie Kingston's the goddamn man. It's, it's like a big, uh, like what's like, they say mutual admiration society. Like it's a bad thing, but like, it's just a bunch of people, like finally giving him his flowers. And I, I loved every bit of it. I loved the pictures of him holding up the two belts. And while you are somebody who's been like a legit shoot friend of his for, you know, 20 years, I'm a guy who never saw an Eddie Kingston match before three years ago. And I'm just as happy as you are for him. Uh, I hope that he has a long reign at the top where he's get given the same recognition that he's gotten over the last 24 hours. I hope that that, is sustainable or is sustained, you know, but it'll be I'm very happy. For him. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Of course. Um, you know, I, I saw a bunch of people tweet about this, you know, and everything in the story, uh, the match, the story, there was the thing from Starcast a couple of weeks ago where he got to host the Q and a with Kawada and mm-hmm. Kawada told him that he needs to win a match with the power bomb. And he didn't that weekend of the pay-per-view, but obviously he didn't win the match. 
that yeah. weekend. He shouldn't have gone for the powerbomb in that match. If he wasn't going to win the match, there's the match. He hits the powerbomb first time Eddie's done a powerbomb probably his entire life for Kawada, wins the match. They have the match in gear, Eddie and Claudio, for the Kawada-Misawa rivalry thing. Yeah, these two guys know what they're doing, you know, whatever your belief is in regards to any of this. And, you know, I, I've known Ed, I, I was a fan of Eddie before I was a friend of Eddie. There was just something about him when I first saw him wrestle that he had, like, a, a charisma, a magnetism, a something that was just so different and so everything else. And through, you know, uh, the happenstance of my life, you know, um, he's someone that I can consider a friend, like I said. Um, but I, I say this, you know, as a critical eye, Eddie is a character, like we mentioned before with, you know, the Ring of Honor stuff that we were talking about, like Homicide, a character like Homicide, who is this, you know, this hard-nosed, rugged character, like, but also a sympathetic babyface at the same time, which is like a very delicate line to watch. Walk, and he's a babyface. So now his quest is complete. Mm -hmm. He's beaten Claudio. He's the Ring of Honor world champion. Is Does Eddie get a long reign? Or is Eddie a character where he works better in the hunt for the title, right? Yeah. Like, he's almost like, he, he's your Rocky Balboa, who's, you know, your every man from Philly, you know, in his in Rocky's case. And he beat, uh, uh, he beat Apollo Creed, but now is he going to get taken out by a younger, stronger guy so that the chase is there, you know? Right. And it's not uh, like they could do something where they turn Eddie heel because I don't like Eddie's at a point in his career where I don't think he can be heel. No, no, yeah, like I, I can see, like I don't know who to suggest for this, but you know, somebody new, somebody younger, you know, faster or stronger or whatever, you know, just a fluke, quick win, you know, to to make it so that because if Eddie's the guy that we all relate to, the guy we want to drink a beer with. You don't you unless you're a sociopath who thinks that like billionaires want to be your friend. Like usually super successful people aren't the people that we relate to. So right. I can see what you're saying that like you know having him lose and be not be down on his luck but like he he reached the the highest heights of the mountain and now he's he could potentially fall back down and like that there's money to be made in that. But I just want to see him hold the two belts for a long time. Like I understand it's not great business and that he's more relatable as uh, as a guy who's chasing for the belts. But selfishly, I just want to see him bring two belts out for a while. You know? and, and I'm the same way. Selfishly, I want to see it too. And this could just be my old antiquated way of thinking, you know? Yeah. But I mean, so, and I get it; it's a heel, but Samoa Joe is a uh, is a murder and like hard hitting machine, and you know who's around the same age as Eddie Kingston, and you know he's he's a dominant Ring of Honor TV champion, you know. And it's like I get one's a heel, one's a babyface, but like you can keep a belt on him for a long time and still have people appreciate it. Yeah, and Joe's a there's just something a little bit different about Joe than Eddie. I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's one of those things that, like you just know they are cut from the same cloth, but very different. Um, listen, I, I want Eddie to be a champion. I hope there's good creative out there somewhere that he's both those champions for a long time. I'd love to see a singles match with him and Joe. Uh, yeah. I think that would be cool as hell. Um, they've wrestled before. It's been a long time. Um, and, you know, and that's the thing, like somebody else was pointing out, I was listening to uh, uh, Matt Feuerstein and Trevor Dane uh, catching up on through the years. And, like, the period of Ring of Honor that they're talking about, mid to late 2006, they're doing a series currently of 
Brian Danielson versus Samoa Joe matches, and they're just okay. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is you know seventeen years ago. People change. I think today Danielson and Joe would have an amazing match. But then, like, 2006, we all thought Daniels and Joe would have an amazing match, and they were just okay. Sometimes these guys that are great, just, they can't piece it together. They just don't have the chemistry or whatever it is. And I'm off on a tangent. Eddie Kingston should be champion forever. Yeah. And my concern with him losing the belt is because we're in a a short attention span world. And Tony has lots of toys to play with on the two brands. And I get from a storytelling perspective, you're like, oh, have him drop it and then have him chase after the next champion. But like, I, I am worried that in a lot of people's eyes, him getting the Ring of Honor world title is like, it's like a big thank you. It's a big recognition for all of your years, his years of, you know, being in wrestling and being awesome. But like, I can, I feel like if they take the belt off of him that it's like, hey, you've already gotten your thanks and your recognition. It's other people's time now, which some people might agree with. But it's like, I, I'm i worried that if he does lose the belt, they're not going to give him a chase for getting it back. Because there's so many other people on the Ring of Honor and AEW rosters, you know? So that's why I'm like, let him just have the belt for a while so that if, God forbid, this is the only reign we get, that it's a memorable one, that he has lots of defenses that are on like AEW pay-per-views or dynamite or whatever that we can look back at and be like, Hey, remember when Eddie Kingston was the ring of honor champ and he wrestled like Danielson and he wrestled Samoa Joe and he wrestled yada, yada, yada. But like, that's what I want. Like if you're going to take it off of him in three months, then have it be a really memorable three months promos every single week. You know, like that awesome promo leading up to the show. And I know it's like, which one? But like uh, the most recent one, um, I just want like a lot of meat on this bone of championship, you know? Absolutely. I'm with you completely. So I guess this was the thing that you were going to talk about as well. 100%. But I have two follow-up questions. Um, How long did you cry? And did you reach out to him and congratulate him? Uh, Yes, I did reach out to him and congratulate him. Um, I didn't cry when he won. I cried when he came out and the crowd erupted for him. You know? Awesome. Yeah. Um, Except was, for that one fucking guy with the, the, the sign that says Eddie Kingston's a bum. Somebody listen, should have confiscated that from that skunk. I, 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 listen, I, I don't know if that guy was trying to be cute, funny, contrarian, or he really believed that. Whatever the situation is, no fucking jokes. I'm security. That guy's just getting tossed. I'm not taking the sign. I'm just escorting him from the building. Yeah. Um, a, a distant second most offensive sign I saw that night, but uh, still need to be addressed. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll just stick with the the show from Dynamite last night, and I'll ask a question. Is Rick Knox the worst referee in the history of televised wrestling, or is he uh, just up there amongst them? Because obviously, while you're formulating your answer, um, obviously, I was like, okay, Eddie Kingston's going to win the the Ring of Honor title. Everybody knows that. And as you would say, everybody knows that he's going to win the world the world title. So I'm like, okay, Moxley versus Ray Fenix. All right, it's just going to be a Moxley title defense. You know, nice long reign, like an, uh, an Orange Cassidy light type of reign. And there's no way they're going to put it on the the suckier lucha bro, you know. And uh, I guess I guess Moxley got got his bell rung uh, and got what was it, a pile driver or whatever whatever the the finish was. And Rick Knox doesn't count the three. So I wasn't I had it on, 
But by this point, like everybody, we're just looking at Twitter and like retweeting Eddie Kingston <laughs> tweets and like liking things that people say about him. So I, I saw a move being applied and then I heard the crowd boo like crazy. And I look up, I'm like, what happened? And I rewound it a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, I've seen some bad some bad uh, referee stuff and specifically some bad uh, Rick Knox things. But like that, that was all around bad. And then they just Phoenix picked him up, hit the move again and, and won. I don't know. I didn't look into it. I didn't look at the discord to see if anybody was talking about it. Like, was that the original finish? Was it just because Moxley was knocked out? I don't know, but it, it was bad. Like nobody comes out of that strong like moxley obviously it sucks if he got hurt um it sucks that his reign if it did end prematurely it sucks uh it's if if ray phoenix was supposed to win the belt it sucks that much like jericho losing to orange cassidy it's a finish you can never really show again uh and it just looks really bad for your referee uh but uh, i'll defer to you for the rest of my time so it was a, it wasn't the 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 pile driver whatever drivers maneuver that was that Ray Fenix yeah, gave he to was, Moxley. He was knocked out before that. But what I'm saying is that the the finish was whatever the pile. Yeah. Was. So yeah. there's a part where they're getting set up for the finish, and you could very clearly see all three parties, Moxley, Ray Fenix, and the referee having some sort of discussion. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would I would assume that Ray Fenix was not supposed to win the title. Okay, the word is is that Moxley called an audible. Now I wasn't in the ring, I wasn't a part of the conversation. But the one thing that I could see for sure is Fenix hits the move, goes for the cover. Mox doesn't kick out, and Rick Knox does not count to three. And when run when Ray Fenix gets off of Mox, Mox very clearly on camera looks at Rick Knox and says, fuck you. Okay? That's <laughs> I gotta the only go thing back that and, I know I, for sure. I gotta go back and look at that. I, I have to check that out because I still have it on my DVR. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was watching that not like Stevie Richards was watching that for an excuse to rag on Tony Khan. Uh, listen, I like Stevie Richards, but he's a little too Russo-pilled these days for me. I, I Side note, I thought with... Have you seen these videos of Stevie Richards doing the deal where like he analyzes where things go wrong and stuff? Uh, thankfully, no. Okay. They've actually been pretty good for the most part when he looks at, like, archival footage. Like, he did, like, a breakdown of the, the Goldberg-Bret Hart thing from Starcade, right? And a bunch of other things like that just to kind of see where things went wrong and, like, where the injuries happened and talked about how they could be avoided and stuff like that. Um, but this one, like, the he, he's claiming that um, the video got pulled from YouTube because... Um, AEW is trying to hide how bad of an official Rick Knox is or that a guy got injured, but he does a part of it that, like, he frames it as though saying that, like, when Undertaker got the concussion in the match at Brock, right, mm. that Vince left WrestleMania and in the ambulance went with the Undertaker to the hospital, wherein after the show is over and they're in between Dynamite and Rampage, Tony Khan went out and did like the little stupid Daniel Garcia dance with Daniel Garcia, right? Mm. Literally an hour and a half later, okay? And Stevie Richards was shitting on Tony Khan saying that Tony Khan should have went to the hospital with John Moxley, okay? We don't know that John Moxley went to the hospital, okay? Yeah. He left the ring under his own power. 
We no. don't know. I was going to say, we don't know if, if he wanted to. And John Moxley was like, fuck off. I'm fine. Or something like that. Right. Unlike Undertaker, who wanted his daddy, Vince, to come with him to protect him from Mr. Brown. Exactly. Exactly. So, again, to speculate and those sort of things, the only thing that I could go by is, if this is the first time that Rick Knox fucked up, and somebody was very clearly concussed in a match, and he did not do his job as the the shoot part of being an official, which is realizing that somebody in the match is in no condition to continue and doing their best to either end the match so the person can get medical attention as soon as possible or to make sure that the person is out of harm's way. This is the first time that Rick Knox has ever done this, right? Uh, I don't believe so. I believe it's... Oh, uh, <laughs> I, it's at least sure the second talking. time that he's yeah. done this. I think the last... And I don't remember the context of it or who was involved in it, but I remember talking about it and like suggesting at the time or at least asking if referees are given like some type of medical training where it's like, here are the signs of a concussion. And uh, we talked about that the last time it happened. And I don't remember when that was, but I'm sure it involved Rick Knox. It did involve Rick, Rick Knox. It was a multi-person match with the Bucks and someone against the Dark Order, and specifically it was Alex Reynolds, right? Yeah. And Alex Reynolds got knocked out, okay? He was laying in the middle of the ring, okay? And Rick Knox just stood there, didn't know what to do. Like, he was not moving. He was unresponsive, right? Mm -hmm. And he did nothing to alert the medical staff at ringside. He did nothing to alert the people in the match what was going on. He did not do his job. And he's friends with the Young Bucks, he was their referee in PWG. He has a job in AEW because he's friends with the Young Bucks. He's not the only one, but he's mm. the only one who's in a position that could severely hurt other people due to his negligence. That's fucking crazy. Right. <laughs> if you're Tony Khan, it's like, well, I, I, Bucks, I have you signed, so your boy's fired. Like, I don't like calling for people's jobs, but, like, if you're just grossly incompetent... You know. And I'll say this, the online wrestling community has gone after Aubrey Edwards way harder than they've gone after Rick Knox for doing way less. Aubrey yeah. Edwards, the worst thing that she does is, is screw Jeff Jarrett, <laughs> is screw Jeff Jarrett. But for real, the worst thing that she does is every once in a while acknowledges that the camera is there and kind of looks into it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like the internet, like especially the WWE pilled people who like their referees to be anonymous, you know, as, as we've been taught by Vince over the last 20 years, they don't even have names most of the time. Like they always shit on Aubrey and Bryce that they're too animated and that they're making all these wild gestures and reactions. And, and sometimes they're even in too close to the wrestlers during a lockup. Like they should be in the background. And, uh, like, I get you that they want to complain about something, but, like, that's a refereeing style. And if you don't like it, it's just like saying, like, I don't like that wrestler style. Like, if you don't like it, you don't fucking like it. Whatever. And they're not going to change it for your benefit. But Knox's style is bad, like, unsafe refereeing. Right. Um, but it is what it is. Like I said, uh, he's friends with the boys. There's nothing that... Any, you know, and again, I, I, it's going to have to take one of the bucks to get seriously injured. And even then I can't imagine that they would say anything untoward about their friend, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, but anyway. Right. You have anything else, Joe? I, I do. All right, go for it. I do. Um, and I'll just be quick about this one. Um, this past Friday and Saturday, um, Chris Statlander had two of the best women's wrestling matches on TV in a long time. And this is taking into consideration the stuff that Becky Lynch has been doing on WWE TV uh, the last couple months. Chris mm-hmm. Statlander, back-to-back, and it was taped on Wednesday, but Friday <laughs> and Saturday had two very different, very good matches with two very different opponents in Jade Cargill, We Hardly Knew Ye, and Britt Baker. <laughs> well, they, they asked Mark Sterling what's up with Jade, and he, he says everything's fine. So. Right. He seems not to know what's going on with his client's career. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, Chris Statlander has that prodigy, that pedigree. She had the time in the Indies. She was trained at Creative Pro by Hawkins and Pat Buck and everybody else that, that runs things there. She comes from the same school as Marky, as Max, as Max Caster. You know, so many great people. Like, there's people that got training one place and then kind of went there after the fact. But like, like Silver and Reynolds. Yeah, like Silver and Reynolds. But like guys and girls like Chris Statlander, like MJF, like Max Caster were trained wholly full cloth at Creative Pro, and it shows. They're some yeah. of the best, most unique, most anything, whatever verb you want to put on them when it comes to professional wrestlers in all of professional wrestling. And I just hope, I don't know what the um, situation is for this weekend. I didn't look at the Rampage spoilers. I don't know what she's booked for on Collision. But, like, I don't know. You want to build your women's division, just have Chris Statlander go out there and have good matches every week? Yeah. While Soraya does, like, her bumblefuck dog and pony show. That sucks, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I was kind of shocked, especially with as hot metaphorically and literally as Tony Storm has been the last couple weeks that they didn't have Tony Storm win uh, because again the Soraya thing you could you can't imagine that that was like all right we're gonna build the division around Soraya no it was like we're in London put the belt on her for the cheap pop you know now that we're back home take it off of her but uh I know that, anyways yes I agree with Statlander I I would almost think that like as TNT champion have her challenge Soraya and, and win, and then, like, Tony Khan takes the TBS title off of her, and I don't know, he'll have to come up with something unique, uh, maybe a tournament, uh, <laughs> to crown a new TBS champ and then go that way. Maybe flip-flop it, because the TBS belt has always, I don't want to say the, been the better belt, but it's been, like, the more frequently defended and, like, the most active and all that stuff, so... Um, I don't know. I, I think the Statlander deserves a run with the, the world title because I was under the impression like a month or two ago that, that Jade would be moving into the, the world title picture, mm-hmm. you know, and since that's not going to happen, have Statlander do it. Yeah. And like I said, you know, she she's proven that she could go. She's had some setbacks with injuries. Hopefully she's kind of augmented her style a little bit, kind of learned her way to get through those sort of things so it doesn't derail the momentum that she has here as the TBS champion. And, you know, I like the idea of her beating Soraya and them, you know, unifying the belts, something, you know? Yeah. Um, But I don't know. Just like good matches on TV is just as good as anything else. Yeah. I'm not a fan of unifying the belts because I just like having lots of belts. (laughs) I guess. Um, Yeah. But no, I agree. She's been awesome. Like I've been a fan of this run. Uh, I, I, 
when she stopped being the alien, I was like, oh, I like the alien thing. And, and now that she's she's just like her, you know, yeah. like more or less uh, with just a shit kicker with a little bit of face paint, you know, uh, that's grown on me, too. You know, I'm just averse to change. <laughs> um, hey, Joe, uh, hey. If, if this podcast happens to beat We Need Wrestling to production, uh, which who knows, depends on whether or not the boys are watching football, it is possible for us to scoop and boop and talk about the WWE releases. So okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the list and you don't have to go over everybody. But like who is one or two that you would like to see on the indies, if at all? And where do you think they should go? Um, like, if you have an idea for one person or two people. So I'm going to go over the names uh, real quick. Mustafa Ali, Emma, Riddick Moss, Aliyah, Elias, Rick Boogs. I know, team with uh, Josh Bishop. Uh, <laughs> Top Dollar, Shelton Benjamin, Dolph Ziggler, uh, Massey and Mansoir. Dana Brooke, and then a bunch of people from NXT that I don't, I don't know and I don't care about. But out of the people that I named, any of them, would you be like, oh, I'd like to see this person in a uh, like AEW. I would like to see this person at LVAC. I'd like this person to, to never wrestle again. But go on. I want your take. So it's weird talking about the releases. You hate to see anybody lose their job. It's something that has become kind of par for the course or whatever you want to say for world wrestling entertainment and again i would you know it sucks right you know and i'm sure there's going to be more you know that's what they're saying you know right so please bear in mind what i'm saying here is being done for entertainment purposes only it stinks that these people lost their job right Mm -hmm. that being said um i want dana brooke specifically (laughs) only booked on shows uh that dj if we need wrestling is going to be at or watch (laughs) one hundred percent um aliyah uh i want her to make her triumphant return to aiw and beat Derek dillinger for the intense title oh okay speaking of which uh i need a match one match between rick boogs and jb and then they become a team and then just kill everyone (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. I can see that. I, I, Bishop has been campaigning to team with them, so I'm just. I hope that he's up for a match against them. You know, right? Um, I think Shelton Benjamin could do some stuff in Japan. Um, I think Mustafa Ali, if he decides to, could he could have that super hot indie run and maybe get rehired somewhere? Like, of anybody that got released, I could see him being the one maybe to get hired full-time mm-hmm. by AEW. Yeah. I can see Ziggler maybe doing a spot or two for AEW, but never getting the full z- Nick Nemeth is all elite sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, and like, I was just going to say, out of all of these people, Ziggler is very surprising just because like, he's a guy that you could, you, I mean, you could still see this happening, but it, like, he's a future WWE hall of famer just based on like body of work and tenure. Sure stuff so um but i guess if like all those people can get cut during covid like everybody's on the the chopping block but go ahead yeah but ziggler is the one that i could see having the closest to a broski-esque run on the indies Mm -hmm. and you know this was kind of a discussion with this today with a lot of these people getting released 
you know, uh, everybody has their two cents in regards to this. And I'm one of those people that have their two cents in regards to this. I, I, I do have maybe a little bit more information than some other folks do in this regard. But the Indies ain't what it is today, what it was three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, three years ago. Now, there are people that will try to kid you and say that it is. Now, listen, I- I'm going to say for the benefit of the doubt that GCW is included in the Indies, okay? Yeah, And GCW is included in the Indies, but GCW at this point is less of an indie and more of a boutique touring brand, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're bringing in like a weird name here or there, but they've got their core roster that pretty much stays the same with not a lot of turnover, and it's been more or less, I'd say like 75% the same for the last three years, not a lot okay. of these guys are going to get picked up. They might get one match here or there, but that's about it. No one's going to have that broski run where they're going to have that killer match with Nick Gage, and it's just like all these pieces have lined up. Those pieces don't exist anymore. I had people telling me how hot the indies are, that there's 10 shows running every weekend that are to packed houses. And I think maybe you're kidding yourself a little bit because it's your favorite indie. You were at LVAC this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Was there more people there or less people there than a year ago? Uh, it felt like a little less. It w- okay. was was crowded, but it felt like a little less. Right. Was it still a great house? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. But every show that runs continually, every promotion, every everything, is subject to diminishing returns. And that's just the law of averages. And I really wish that the Indies were in this big resurgence period, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make a concerted effort this weekend, whether it be Friday, whether it be Saturday, whether it be both, to peek in at all the Indies that are running this weekend, like I was suggested to do, and take those pictures and find those pictures of full crowds, right? And the Indies are doing what they can, but so many indies, There's there are a lot of indies out there that are doing great. Uh, there's a company, Deadlock Pro, in the North Carolina area that's doing great. They got their, their two shows that they run a month, their one show that they run a month. They are building a, a fan base there. Green Mountain Wrestling in Vermont, building a fan base. They're not looking to tour outside of any areas there. AIW, same thing. And I'll be honest with you, I'm ignorant of a lot of companies out on the West Coast. But places like Prestige are doing great. Uh, Revolver is doing great. But the problem is they're all trying to chase what GCW has. Or they're trying to chase what PWG was. And PWG, like, they run a show every two to three months and it's sold out. And that's great. But I don't think PWG is an indie anymore. When half the people that own it or run it or work there, they're getting AEW. If I could book John Moxley and Chris Jericho on my indie mm-hmm. on a semi-regular basis, I'd probably do okay, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the I house would be pretty good, you know. Mm. And just the discussion of the indies came up, and a lot of people are hustling, and a lot of people are working hard. I know all the people behind the scenes at LVAC were busting their ass to get that Steel Stack show to even come close to what it did last year, and they did. But it was a lot of people busting their ass to get there. I know AIW, they ran the big room at the Odeon in Cleveland this past weekend. And John Thorne will be the first one to tell you it wasn't as packed as he wanted to be. But that's the thing. I love John Thorne to death. He's running the room that ECW ran in 1999 and 2000. 
Wrestling was different in 1999 and 2000 than it is today. It ain't going to be the same packed as that ECW show was 23, 24 years ago as it is today. It just isn't. It's just the way that wrestling is. And John Thorne and the students and everybody on that show were busting their asses, promoting, doing everything that they can to get as many people as they can. And that's what they got. Everybody's working hard. Anybody that has a show that has people at it is because they got a lot of people working hard. But the indies ain't what it was three years ago, five years ago. Ring of Honor's gone. Chikara's gone. All these other places that you have. And you have so many people that are trying to fill those voids. And they just can't do it. But there's people out there that are. And I'm going to make a concerted effort this weekend to make note of who's up and who's down when it comes to all of this stuff with everything that's going on in the indies. And let's face it, whatever indie manages to secure the services of top dollar, that's going to be the next big indie. So that's right. You know, let's just go ahead and go ahead. You want the next broski? You know, that's top dollar. Go sign them. Now, I will say this. Um, there are a lot of very funny matches that I would love to see happen because of these releases. Yeah. Um, you know, you know you're going to get a Ziggler Broski match on one of the FWF shows. Um, you know, Ziggler's going to get a Bendy, a big rubber guy, and a, a zombie sailor. More on that later. You know, Ziggler's going to get all that sort of stuff, but he's the one guy who's going to get the benefit of getting released because he's going to get the Broski rub. Yeah, no, 100%. You and know, I'm trying and, to look at. Oh, go ahead. And, and, a, and a better man than me said. Steph DeLander should counter Lucky Stars every day that Chelsea Green got hired, or she'd be running a moderately successful OnlyFans in Australia. <laughs> it's a great take. Um, That's a fantastic take. That's why I stole it. <laughs> I'm looking in her Discord, and uh, I, I, oh, I can't find who said it, because I can't find the actual thing, but somebody said that, uh, that there should be a... Broski versus Ziggler at Bloodsport, but it should be called like Bloodsports Entertainment. Oh, that was Matt, that Matt Fish who said yeah, that. Yeah, Matt Fish. Now, I was laughing at that. So that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of funny things that can be done with the, some of these guys. And uh, yeah, all right, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if there's any more of them. I could, like I said, I'm just kind of surprised by by Ziggler. I just thought that like that was going to be a lifer if he made it through the pandemic cuts. You know, when a lot of the people like like Broski and Hawkins and whatever got cut, uh, I would have figured he would have been there forever. But who knows? Joe, do you have anything else? One last thing, Adam. In a story that feels like it happened 100 years ago, but it was literally six and a half days ago, The Rock is back at the World Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that was on Friday. That was my top note thing. But then it got bumped so far down the list. So it certainly seems as though they're positioning something with The Rock and Roman for WrestleMania. And I just feel bad that yet again, Cody's not going to be able to finish the story or he's going to have to lie about what the story actually was. And I forget who posted this in our Discord, but it was the uh, George W. Bush thing from 9-11 where they came over and told him the second tower was been hit. Yeah. But they have Cody's face superimposed over George Washington, and it's coming in, or George, George Washington, George W. Bush, and it's somebody coming in with the Eddie Kingston thing saying, Sir, somebody else has finished their story. <laughs> 
Uh, I am unapologetically a fan of The Rock. Like, I, I don't care whether it's a movie, it's Young Rock, it's wrestling, it's XFL, it's lying about stealing candy bars, whatever. I love The Rock. And, uh, like, everybody was all, like, The Rock has been down in the in the court of public opinion over the last year, whether it be because of black Adam or just bad social media or whatever, I don't care. I love the rock. So if the rock shows up on TV in the WWE and causes anybody else to lose their spot, I don't care because you're not the rock, you know? So like you feel bad for Cody. I don't Cody. If you don't want the rock to take your spot, be better than the rock. Trick question. You can't be better than the rock. (laughs) it's the fucking rock (laughs) you know like like rock and austin during that era and you can argue okay mick foley and undertaker and like brad or whatever rock and austin were the two guys in wwe at that time but stone cold is a broken down shell of himself like he's got the beer belly and he's got the broken legs and he's old the rock still looks like somebody who should beat everybody on your roster so if it's wrestlemania the rock versus roman sign me the f up i will be way more excited to watch that than i would be to see cody roman too you know and listen, I, I'll be the first one to say it's fun to dunk on The Rock. His social media presence isn't the best. He maybe sometimes comes off as robotic when he tries to be a real person. Um, the bath that he took in regards to the handling, thinking that he was going to get the DC Cinematic Movie franchise, <laughs> and then Jimmy Pistol, a.k.a. James Gunn, swooped in and took it from him, right? These yeah. are all great things to dunk on The Rock for. But Adam, once I hear, if you smell... Hey, all that's out the window. I'm cheering, I'm clapping, you know, I'm I'm right with you. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess, like, he, he came out and he started talking to, like, Austin Theory, and it's like, oh, why does every, like, big name have to interact with Austin Theory? Stop trying to make Theory a thing. Um, but, yeah, I hope it goes towards Roman. Uh, hell, I don't have The Rock be the one that ends Roman's reign. I don't care. <laughs> you know, no, like, again, this was something, the they, I guess... The Rock was on something with Pat McAfee earlier in the day, and they were talking that there was thoughts of doing Roman and Rock on one of the nights and Cody and Roman on the other night for WrestleMania last year, which I think was a prevailing rumor that we even discussed on the show. And the fact that they acknowledged that on the Pat McAfee thing, and then Pat McAfee's the one that brings The Rock out on SmackDown, um, all that sort of stuff happening. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do it this year, where night one is Cody winning the belt from Roman, and then night two is like the street fight esque match with Rock or with uh, Rock and Roman, kind of like how Owens and Austin had, you know, mm-hmm. whenever that was two years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um. So you never know, right? Um. I don't know, but as you mentioned. I don't feel bad for Cody either. I just think it's funny that it happened to Cody. Um, And and the fact that you're like, go ahead, Cody, try to be the rock. You can't. (laughs) And it's like, do we know ballpark, like roughly how long Cody is signed for? I assume the rest of his life. (laughs) But like you say, it was like, oh, it's a five-year deal or something like that. Like, Cody, you got four more chances at it. Like, relax. (laughs) At least. Yeah. Um, I will say my last thing, and I actually oh, have one more thing. I, I was I was actually just gonna say, 
um, I would be remiss. You're saying, Cody, you want to be The Rock. You can't be The Rock. You know, there's only one person that kind of sort of comes close to The Rock, and that's... Copy an A, get an A. That's why. Hey! Copy an A, get an L.A. Yeah! I got my L.A. Night shirt in the mail the other day, too. Oh, nice. Nice. That that will have to be next month's Patreon Selfie of the Month. Oh, me wearing the L.A. Night shirt? All right. Yeah. Um. So, Joe... Uh, I was looking for something to watch the other night, and I was like, I haven't turned on Netflix in a while. Let me see if there's anything new on there. And one of the things that was suggested to me was the new documentary, uh, Wrestlers. So I know from seeing all of social media just like how many people were dunking on it. And I watched the trailer when it was first revealed, uh, and the trailer was all like, Al Snow is a wrestling genius. OVW is the you know the developmental system that you know feeds WWE their superstars, and it's still hanging on all of its glory from twenty something years ago. And I was like, oh man, this looks bad. Everybody says it's bad, so I'm gonna watch it, and I'm going to tell the, our audience how bad it is. And Joe, it's really not that bad. Let me okay. just say, let me just say, the the trailer makes it look very obnoxious. It makes it look like they're trying to sell all those things I just said. Like Al Snow is like this wrestling genius. OVW is this super successful indie. And like all these people are superstars in the making. But like the documentary really shows OVW as being this piss poor shindy with no money, terrible, like very low fan attendance, terrible pay-per-view buys. And it, it shows it as or presents it as being this this shell of a shell of a shell of its former self. So the trailers do a bad job of actually explaining what the documentary is about. And like most good docs. Uh, every time you see somebody, like you're like, I hate that person. That person's obnoxious. That person's a dick. I hope I hope bad things happen to them in their career. And then the documentary is like, okay, we've showed you all the shitty things about them. Now we're gonna make you like them by show making them sympathetic and like, here's all the things we didn't tell you about this wrestler or this promoter or whatever. And like by the end of uh like each arc and like a lot of the the stories are like oh we're going to talk about Al Snow in this one we're going to talk about this wrestler and this wrestler in this one like at first you're like I hate this person but by the end of every episode you're like all right I kind of get where they're coming from or I get you know I feel bad for this person whatever um even Hollywood Haley J who I've never heard of before like a week ago but apparently like I'm not going to say she's a big deal but people like talking about her like 90% of it, you're like, I hate this bitch. And I don't want to see her ever again. But then they give you revelations. And you're like, okay, I get why you're the way you are. And you're, you're cool with me. Um, but I sat down to hate watch one episode. I actually watched five episodes. Oh, my so God. It, it's 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 a good documentary. <laughs> like, it, it's, I'm not saying anybody on the show is like Al Snow's a great promoter or this person's a great wrestler. But if you're a fan of interesting documentaries, it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I watch a lot of documentaries, whether it be like, you know, true crime or history or whatever. And this one just happens to be about wrestling. And like I said, everything 
that I saw on social media that was attacking it based on the trailer. And I get it. The trailer makes it look like you're going to watch the triumphant story of OVW. It is so far from that. It's very much a, it borders on, haha, let's make fun of them, but then let's have heart and show you why you want to root for some of them. And it was actually pretty good. Like I said, I'm going to finish the last two episodes over the next couple of days. Yeah, I'll never watch it. I don't want to support anything that Al Snow is involved with. Yeah, I mean, he's barely in it, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I just want to say that, like, I watched a episode. I was actually going to make for a show homework thing, but that's not the bit anymore. The bit is movies. So Thank I was like, you. I'm just going to watch it and report back. But like I said, I'm only talking about it because of the fact that I was pleasantly surprised by it. All right. Well, like I said, I'm glad that you bit that bullet and watched it um, and nobody was asking you to do it. It's all. <laughs> yeah. The, the sacrifices I do for this show. Yeah. So speaking of homework, you said. Uh, obviously, we've currently transitioned to you assigning movies and so forth. Of course, we'll be uh, releasing later on the Patreon, our discussion of the uh, February 12, 2000 uh, episode of WCW Saturday Night. Uh, yep. Be a nice brisk walk through that show, I think. Uh, <laughs> so what do we have for homework coming up this week? All right, Joe. So last week we reviewed the 1989 cult hit Roadhouse. We're going to stay in that same vein, but we're going to get much more modern. And we are going to watch the 2023, speaking of Netflix, Netflix original movie, Hidden Strike, starring Jackie Chan and John Cena. I'm sorry, John Cena. What the hell is this? It's on Netflix. That's all I know. I saw the trailer. I watched like the first like, you know, half of the trailer. And I was like, okay, I'm sold. That's going to be homework. That was like, almost going to be what I was going to watch the other night, but then I decided to watch the documentary and then assign this. Look at that natural full head of hair John Cena has in that picture. Quiet. <laughs> but it is available on Netflix and uh, I'm sure other means as well. And I'm sure Jackie Chan has every business being still in an action movie in 2023. I wonder if he does his own stunts. I wonder if he, well, again, how, I've never even heard of this movie. It's a Netflix original movie. So that it used to be in the day you'd say, oh, it went straight to video. And it was like, uh, it was a scarlet letter. But now you could just say you went straight to streaming because you were made like by the streaming companies or your rights were bought by them. Uh, so it's, it, it's not a bad thing. All right. If you have Netflix, I guess that's a thing that you could do, right? You can yep. watch this on Netflix. On Netflix, or maybe like look at our uh, if you're in our Patreon. I'm sure we'll we'll point you in a direction. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that. But yeah, so that is your homework for next week. Hidden strike. Okay. Yep. <laughs> All right. Maybe we'll go down the rabbit hole of the film film revoir of John Cena next. I'm okay with that. John was in a. A bunch of halfway decent movies, right? Yeah. Uh, you just we have to skip Suicide Squad because it's too good. Oh, it's too good. <laughs> yeah. It's an hour forty-three. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, let's watch John Cena. I like John Cena. All right. So, all right, let's get into some voicemails, huh? All right. Now, I want to preface the voicemail segment with this, okay? 
Um, we had someone who called in uh, three times and maxed out the voicemail all three times. Um, God damn they, it, Kevin. I told you about that. They purposely <laughs> stated that they didn't want to state their name, right? Okay. Um, so I don't know who they are. And like I said, I, I, I can't just let someone have nine minutes plus of our show uninterrupted. So I, I did listen to the calls beforehand. And I did kind of edit them together. So this is one a little bit longer of a call. Um, but they do make two points that we'll be able to discuss. So uh, let's let's get into that call right now, okay? All right. Hi, guys. Uh, new listener. Um, I'm almost nervous to say my name because the first time I ever heard of your podcast was you taking the piss out of former AIW superfan Pat Lucy. I've been enjoying it. I think I started listening because, you know, I really miss Chikara. You know, you always be Leonard to me, but mm. sort of like the last vestige to that, I guess. Um, but anyway, I've been listening to the show recently. A lot of stuff, like, I don't watch WWE, and I'm not a huge AEW fan. Some topics that have uh, the PWI 500 talk. Okay, I have feelings about this, because on the one hand, I do agree with you. On the other hand, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you said it good, but I think the thing you didn't cover is, look, these guys are trying to sell a magazine. Who's going to buy a magazine just to see where Naito is in the PWI 500 and as much as it is a sin against everything I stand for, look, guys like Corndog being on the list, you know, probably every friend and family member that that guy has is one way or another going to get a copy of PWI 500 in their hands, whether he's buying them for them or not. And, you know, it's a business, you know. Um, now I, I did pop because, you know, I used to be on AIW, I was AIW street team like 15 years ago or so. And, you know, everything, I'll, I'll never forget this, John Thorne's words ring in my ears. Everything always comes back to AIW. You know, you talk about bias though. You know, the AIW thing, like I remember for 2008, John Thorne publicly talked about, oh, God, like, I'm going to sound unhinged. There's no way I can talk about AIW without sounding unhinged. But, I mean, the Addy Star thing, you know, back in 2013, I mean, AIW has been controversial for a long time. And more important than any details was the attitude among their supporters of, all the boys could lose a place to work. Shut up. What are you doing? Don't talk about this. So I think when it comes to AIW and probably a lot of indie wrestling companies, you know, the price for not getting bad press is you just don't get talked about. I mean, is that really such a horrible sin? I just think it is what it is. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about that. But ultimately, like I said before, the reason I'm calling and I started listening is I miss Chikara. I mean, I guess my big question is now, 
over the years, holes have been poked in stories and, you know, it's come out that there were some sour grapes and people took advantage of that situation to grind axes. Do you think there's any way Chikara could come back? Because, I mean, look, I don't know the details of things, but people are human and, you know, you get rid of them and move on. I've, something I always thought, I remember from the very beginning when uh, it came up to the Chikara video library and there were very vocal people on Twitter talking about, you know, pirating the Chikara library so Mike Quackenbush wouldn't get any money on it and wanting, you know, Tony Khan to buy the library but not give any of the money to Mike Quackenbush. Like, that all seemed really weird to me. I don't know how to unpack that. I'm really hoping now that it was a lot of overreactions. I mean, maybe you guys are laughing because you know more of the intimate details, and I just don't, but I mean, hope. Well, have a good day, guys. Well, if there's one thing I could say for sure is I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, so that that's a given. Um, can I just address the one thing that I, I, I do know about or at least sure. have an opinion on? Um our mystery caller made reference to the PWI 500. And I 100% agree with the take that, hey, if we squeeze maybe an indie wrestler or two on there that at the expense of an established star, you know, we will sell a bunch of copies to their friends and relatives. So I, I never really thought of that, that like having, you know, Joe Schmo that works on an indie or a shindy uh, on there as opposed to like, Anthony Bowens, like Anthony Bowens probably isn't going to run out and, and like buy a hundred copies, you know, to give out to people because he's already on TV and he has a toy and all that stuff. So I, I haven't thought of that take that from a business perspective, you know, having le lesser named people on there could sell you more copies. Like I always kind of on, on the, the assumption that it's like, let's be controversial for controversial sake to sell copies. But like, you know, putting indie guys on there that might not, not otherwise be on there to sell them is a, is an interesting take. I, I I get you that it's an interesting take, but again, he mentioned Corn Dog, right? And I think Corn Dog got like a blurb and a couple lines. Okay, sure. Corn, but Corn if Dog's gonna also, buy it. Yeah, like right? I don't know who that is, so I don't know anything about it. I'll just say like if that's the only time you've ever been mentioned in a magazine that maybe you've been reading since you were a kid, like that right. might be enough a blurb. But mm -hmm. I'll and I'll say this: Is Corn Dog going to buy a bunch of copies? Sure. I don't know how much money Corn Dog has, and I know that the PWI 500 is usually the most expensive copy of the print edition of PWI that comes out whenever it comes out. Yeah, I now, feel like it's nine bucks now. Okay. If Anthony Bones was in there and they had a nice picture of him, I'm sure Anthony Bones would buy lots and lots of copies, and he's got a lot, a lot of money to do so because he's a guy on TV. Somebody like, just as an example, Masha Slamovich, who was a very high-ranked person. She was in the top 20. She got, like, a two-page spread, tons of pictures, a huge write-up and stuff. I bet you she's going to buy a lot of copies, too, right? Yeah. Who do you think no, is going to buy more copy? Masha Slamovich's friends and family or Corn Dog's friends and family? I, I get that. I'm just saying, I'm just acknowledging that he made a decent point there. Okay, decent point. But again, I don't know how much money Corn Dog's scraping together. I don't know Corn Dog from nothing, right? Sure. Um, there is and has been an AIW bias 
for a variety of reasons in the PWI 500. And I'll say this. There's a writer at PWI currently who has made it very clear directly and indirectly to John Thorne that she does not like him. Hmm. So that's why when I asked did any AIW people get in the PWI 500 this year, I was shocked to find out that several did. I, and I didn't look in to see if this person was still working with PWI or not, or if she's changed her stance on PWI, on AIW or not. I just mention it, right? Yeah, or they're just not smart enough to realize that, like, oh, I watched an Enjoy show and Dillinger was on there. I really like this guy, and then they don't realize that they're also on an AIW, you know, or I, or, or watch a JCW show sure. that yeah. Bishop was on, or a Black Label show, or like Derek was just out recently out on the West Coast, you know. So anyway. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then of course the Chikara stuff is a sticky situation because again, I don't know what this guy knows or doesn't know. I know a lot. Okay. And I know he's saying that there were people who were bearing, uh, uh, had axes to grind. One person that I can think of that had an axe to grind, okay? And that person was very quickly, well, again, unfortunately, not very quickly, but the person that they made allegations against, when it came out that this person may have drummed up or trumped up some of those allegations, I went to this person and I said, hey, I go, I know the truth. You know the truth. Do you want to go forward with the truth? And they said, I'm okay. I'm done. Right? Yeah. I don't know what other holes were poked in stuff. Not that I can think of. I know there's a lot of holes that people forgot about. Um, and as for will Chikara come back? Chikara never went away. They're not running shows, but the people, if if you like, there was definitely a line. You got the wrestlers of Chikara and you got Mike Quackenbush. Mike Quackenbush stopped running shows under the name Chikara, but he never stopped training people. And there's lots and lots of new people that are out on the indies and currently being trained by Mike Quackenbush that were trained by Mike Quackenbush. But they all keep it a secret. They don't let anyone know that that's who trained them. Makes you wonder why. Hmm. And there's a lot of people that were trained at Chikara, whether it be 20 years ago or two months ago or two years ago, whatever it was, that are still out there and grinding and trying to make a name for themselves. And you could reach out to them, and if they're willing to share their stories with you, I bet it's not a good story, okay? Mike has had a reputation for a very long time, and a lot of people look the other way. And it was just one of those things where some story came out about Mike 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, and then Chikar runs a bunch of shows or has some good students come out, and people forgot about it. And then another story comes out. And then there's some good shows and some new trainees and everything else like that. And the cycle would just kind of happen anew, right? Mm -hmm. But if you really want your car to be back, your car still exists. Go follow the wrestlers that were there or go follow what Mike is doing at the Wrestle Factory in secret, right? Go yeah, sign it, up, for, go it, sign up it, for his YouTube page for until we make it. Go sign up for his Instagram where he puts up all the videos of all the stuff that he's doing at the training sessions that he does at the Wrestle Factory. I was going to say that it comes down to, do you love Chikara because of the wrestlers that were in Chikara? And if that's the case, you can still be loud and proud and be a fan of, you know, Ultraman is Black, of Dasher Hatfield, of whatever, you know, because they're all still there doing their thing in one way or another. But if you're a fan of Chikara, the name, you know, the, the entity, and you want that back just because it has name recognition then, you know, that's probably not going to happen and, you know, shouldn't, you know? Right. 
And then the, 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 he mentioned about the footage being out there where people were saying to steal the footage so Mike wouldn't get any money from it. Mm-hmm. Let alone, none, nobody else there was getting any money from that footage. Um, there was, when that was being said, it was very early in the speaking out stuff. And a lot of people were very much out to get Mike. You can still go watch Chikara. It's on IWTV. Go sign up. It's 10 bucks a month. I'm sure there's people out there that are not happy that they still have Chikara DVDs in their collection. You could probably get them relatively cheap. There's a lot of Chikara footage on YouTube. You could get around any of this stuff without putting money into a pocket of someone. But it sounds like this person wants to give money to Mike and support Chikara. There's many ways that you can still do it. If you watch Chikara, though, on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, doesn't that put money into Quack's pocket? It does. Okay. As I thought you were saying, that was a way around it. No. Gotcha. There's stuff on YouTube is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. And you could go watch, you know, the the people who are still out there wrestling, on, you know, that are Chikara students and, you know, proud of it, but, you know, not shouting it from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. So All right. thank you, thank you for your call, mystery caller. Our right, next call. Hey there, Joe and Adam. It's the other JB here. Finally back on my mic setup. So yesterday was a day of uh, accomplishments and day of celebration. Not only did we get Eddie Kingston as ROH champion, but I also got an electrolysis consultation, and I've got uh, an appointment scheduled for next week. So. Super fun stuff. Uh, tonight I'm going to go celebrate by uh, seeing Diggable Planets downtown. So that'll be fun. So, um, you know, if you've got any recommendations, who's someone I could ask about? You know what? Here's someone that I'm sure that I've not mentioned before. I should I should have kept track, but I haven't. Um, Harley Race, let me know what uh, you've got for him. All right, take it. Wait, uh, was Harley Race a wrestler? How dare you? <laughs> I thought that they were uh, uh, Vader's manager, and that was it. That's all. The, that's the only Harley race I know of. So uh, thank you for your call, JB. Good luck with everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, appointments, uh, concerts, everything else. I saw they tweeted it about what their Halloween costume was going to be, and absolutely uh, go with the Bret Hart look that you're uh, toying with there. <sighs> well... I was going to just make a comment about how JB has to rub it in our face, how great their hair is. But I guess if you're going to cosplay as Bret Hart, you have to greasy up your hair. So it kind of ruins it. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, Harley Race is a tough one to mention only because some of his best stuff was really before it was on video. You know, it was before like T- it was when TV you had to put a nickel in the Nickelodeon and turn the crank. And even like. His stuff in the early 80s, he was kind of sort of washed. Now, there's stuff out there that you could find. Um, You know, Houston wrestling footage, some NWA archival stuff that kind of made its way around different circuits and what. Um, But I will say, if you want to get, like, what would be considered an almost, like, completely washed Harley race, he did a series of bloodbaths. In late 86, early 87, WWF with Hogan. And they are crazy matches. And Hogan 84-85 is a different animal than Hogan 86-87, and then let's not even get into 89-90, right? 
Mm-hmm. But uh, he was having like Japan style matches with Hogan, uh, and just like utter bloodbaths where both guys were just m- a mess, right? Yeah. Um, but Harley Race had like amazing matches that you can go find with like Andre the Giant from the late seventies that for some reason because like the Houston Wrestling Archive got preserved in a way is on YouTube in like pristine quality, right? Yeah, the tapes weren't, like, stored in a basement somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and if you could find it, it's not, like, the greatest match, per se, but the build-up to Starcade 83, you know, the infamous take-the-damn-money promo, uh, where he's trying to put Ric Flair out of, biz- out of wrestling, if you can find someone who's kind of cobbled together all the TV to build to that, like, I would watch that to see, like, what a presence that Harley Race was, but I, I recommend the Hogan matches from WWF. And those are like, well, WWF, they're on like YouTube somewhere? Or? Yeah, you could probably them on YouTube or you could, if you have the network or the cock or whatever it is, they've put up some house show stuff. So you could probably find them there. Um, there's a, and again, I say famous, there's an infamous uh, Saturday night's main event match that they had where Harley like did a headbutt off the apron to the outside, trying to put Hogan through a table. And the spot was that Hogan moved, but the table didn't break. And the way that Harley landed, he like ruptured his kidneys. Oh, yeah. Still finish the match, though. Of course. Um, they were a different breed back then, is all I'll say. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, but yeah. yes, thank you very much for your call there, JB. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck with everything. I don't think Adam has any recommendation for somebody whose active in-ring career ended in 1988, <laughs> right? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> right. All right, next call. Hello, gentlemen. Kevin here. Um... You know, welcome to the Eddie Kingston Appreciation Show. I'm assuming that you guys talked about that. A lot of oh, WWE releases today, um, <laughs> probably more to come. And I was thinking this last week, but it's even more appropriate this week. But uh, last week I was watching NXT, and I'm seeing someone like Wesley, who was in the tag team, then his tag team partner got released. And he made the best out of it, and honestly, has a better career than he's probably going to have. You know, that his partner's release probably turned out the best for him. Um, Becky Lynch, uh, you know, jokes about Nia Jax being back. But if Becky Lynch doesn't get her nose broken, I don't think we get the man to the same level that we did. Uh, there are frequently things, bad things happen. Someone's injured. Someone's released. Someone's partner's done for a company. That ends up being beneficial for the people. So with all the releases today, and, and hell, let's, let's throw in Broski making a bigger career on his own being released from WWE than he probably would have if he stayed in WWE. So to be positive for the people released today, or if there's any more upcoming ones, can you give me examples of something bad that happened, someone getting released, injured, partner left, whatever it might be, that looked very sad and very down at the time, but ended up being a good thing for that person in the end. And you know what else is a good thing that might seem like a bad thing? Spending your money. You're like, oh, geez, I should take money. What we should do is spend the money on a Patreon subscription so you can listen to the Patreon show later tonight and check out my notes for that show as well. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Hell yeah. Um, love the plug, did the thumbs up when he said it. Uh, <laughs> I think we covered a lot of it with the releases and whatnot, but 100% agree. Like, 
we, we said it before, Broski getting released, best thing ever for his career. Whether you want to say that like the, the, the heat's gone now, may or may not be. Um, but is there like a, an injury type one, like Kevin suggested, that jumps to your mind? Or, you know, maybe not like somebody was released, but like maybe somebody lost their partner, like like your tag partner cowardly tries to escape through a barbershop window, that type of thing? Well, that was storyline, right? I know, I know. I, I get where Kevin's coming from. So let's say, and this is before Adam's time, um, let's say the Can-Am connection in the WWE, Rick Martel and Tom Zank, okay? They're positioned to be like a top babyface tag team, and then over money, Tom Zank quits. And Rick Martel transitions into a team with Tito Santana as Strike Force, but then Rick Martel turns heel, it becomes the model, and then I think that revitalizes his career and gives him so much more longevity. Because you have to bear in mind, like, at that time, in, like, the mid to late 80s, when guys are coming into WWF, they had already been wrestling for, like, 10 to 15 years at that point, right? Yeah, there were no young upstarts. Yeah, yeah. So Martel had already been a long-term AWA world champion. And him turning heel and becoming the model added minimally an extra, like, five to six money-making years in the WWF onto his career. Mm. And what you would, you would credit Zank leaving from over money about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what any of that means. I know the model. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'm trying to think of some other good ones um, that kind of happen with that. So... You know, there's and it's 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 terrible to say like for injuries and stuff, but um, you know, this was like a confluence of events. If Magnum TA doesn't get injured in the car accident, they don't turn Nikita Koloff babyface, and then that gives him like an extra like two to three year money making run on top before he leaves because his wife gets sick, right? Yeah. Um this, so another thing, of course, when they made their debut in Memphis, they were part of a group of like five or six other guys called Power Team USA. Mm-hmm. And if the other three guys decided that wrestling wasn't for them and working the Memphis loop for 40 bucks a night wasn't going to cut the mustard and the three of them went back to California, then maybe Sting and the Ultimate Warrior wouldn't have had the careers that they would have had. They would have yeah. just been a group of five meatheads. Yeah. I was going to say, if if Hulk Hogan didn't do a whole bunch of steroids, ah, we, we might on. not have gotten Bret Hart as world champion. So and this, so this is another weird one as well. It's, it's different, but the same. If Vern Gagne didn't try to fuck Hulk Hogan on Hulkamania shirts, mm-hmm. then Hulk doesn't leave AWA and go to the WWF. Yeah. I mean, I I still think WWF would have won. It's not like we'd be watching the AWA network on the cock. But it would have been been Hulkamania the way that we know Hulkamania today. Yeah, like somebody else would have been the centerpiece of Vince's national expansion. Like WrestleMania still would have happened. Like you just might not have been as successful. You might not have had a cartoon and, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay, so thank you, Kevin. But I'll just say this, so. If it wasn't Hogan, and this is something that's been discussed on many other wrestling podcasts out there, Hogan 
was not the first choice. Hogan was the one that just kind of like hit like lightning because of Rocky three, right? Uh-huh. Other people that were considered for that spot to be the focal point of the national expansion for WWF, Sergeant Slaughter, who was already in WWF, uh, Dusty Rhodes was being courted, Kerry Von Erich was being courted, mm-hmm. and a babyface, Roddy Piper, was being courted. Yeah. Plus, like, we, we watched Dark Side of the Ring, like, Junkyard Dog could have been in a higher sure. thing. You know, like, people like that that didn't get big main event runs because Hogan was at the top may have taken that spot, you know? Right, and you mentioned, does WWF become the juggernaut that it is and still a household name today? If it's Slaughter, if it's Piper, if it's Dusty, if it's Kerry uh, Von Erich, probably not. But that's just the way that things work. And, like, we can look back 40-plus years later in hindsight and say, what if this, what if this, what if this? Yeah. All right. right. Last call. Pink button time. It's Young Ed. Hey, Joan Adam. It's Ed. Um, I think people are going to call in and ask about releases and and stuff about wrestling. So I don't want to do that. I think you guys are going to talk about enough wrestling shit. Uh... So what I want to do is talk about that um, the Prada SS24, uh, Hunter Schaefer was interviewed, and she said uh, when she was asked what fictional character she most identifies with, she said Ponyo, which is uh, from the Studio Ghibli movie, you guys. It's a cartoon. Um, I just want to know what your answer is to that. If you were at the Prada uh, SS24, and ask what fictional character uh, you most identify with. What would you What would you say? And also, what do you guys think of the line? Did you guys check it out? Did you see any of the clothes? The menswear. <laughs> they have a shirt with vines on it. <laughs> My answer is Elias, uh, Clark's <laughs> version, not the wrestler. K by E. Joe. Uh, um, so, so I didn't see the the clothing line, but I'm sure in a couple days when there's a whatever Facebook's version of TikTok is, I think we've discussed this before, but whatever TikTok's version or YouTube's yeah. or Facebook's version of TikTok is, when somebody is doing a video talking about how much and over expensive that line is and my wife is watching it and I'm looking over her shoulder while she watches it, I'll have an opinion on the line there. Um, I was going to say that the fictional character that I relate to most uh, would be Gerbert, but there's another wrestling commentary that already has that market cornered. Um, I would say that the character that I probably relate to most or that uh, exemplifies me is uh, Dr. Venture from the Venture Brothers. Okay, I don't watch. I've never seen it. Um, just kind of put upon, kind of gets in his own way, kind of, yeah. you know, trying to live off the success of others sort of stuff. <laughs> You're um, describing me. <laughs> surra- surrounds himself with much more colorful characters than himself, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, first thing that jumps in my mind, uh, a man that I, I, I wouldn't say I intentionally have modeled my life after, but uh, through a series of unfortunate events, I, I feel like it's become more along this these lines, but uh, George Costanza. Oh, I thought you were going to say Arthur MacArthur. <laughs> 
how can I uh, I be like somebody that I am? Like that's All right. yeah. But uh, George Costanza definitely. Uh, yeah, that's who I'm gonna go with. And no, I've not seen the clothing line either. Shockingly, Ed, you'll have to send me pictures. Yes. All right. So what are we, phone calls? Oh, hey. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already too late for this week. Um, but don't forget to get your ESPN pigskin pickums in. Oh, yeah, yeah. How you doing in that, Joe? I'm in third place, Adam. How are you doing? Uh, not in third. Uh, <laughs> I believe, according to your notes, it says eighth. But that's probably like fourth place because there's probably like a bottleneck of teams. Now, see, um, go ahead. Todd tries to do the same thing as well, where you guys are both in that slot tied for eighth place. Yeah. But I don't know if it lists you guys alphabetically or like what the tiebreaker thing is. Um, the- well... I will tell you that uh, the the way it ranks people when they are tied is whoever had the most points that week will just be listed higher. So, like, for example, if I was trailing Todd last week, but because I did better this week, I, I caught up to him, I'll be listed higher or vice versa. But uh, I get it. You know nothing about football. And if you if you're doing worse than Joe, you should feel bad and be ashamed. But I will say every single year I start off bad. I said before the league started that I was going to start in the hole because I don't watch college football. I don't watch the preseason. I don't follow the offseason news. So I don't know who's going to be good or who's hurt or whatever until the season starts. So give me a week or two. I will pass you out. So I will say this. I'm third with nobody else. Uh-huh. Uh, you and Todd are one of one, two, three, four, five people that are tied for eighth. Yeah, for now. But it, but Todd is above you on that yeah. tied for eighth. So, so that just, is, he had a better this week, most likely, than I did. Yeah, Right. So Todd is eighth, and then you're technically ninth, if we're going by that logic. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. All right. And also, I just want to point out, because you're like, I make all of my picks based on who my friends like. Well, I looked at who you picked in Steelers versus Browns. Right. And you picked the Browns. So first, shame on you. And I'm hurt. (laughs) Second of all, I made a list. I'm not going to name names. Uh, I don't name names, but I know who picked the Browns over the Steelers in that pick'em league. And I made a mental note up here, Joe. A lot of room up here. A lot of free space for me to make a note of who picked the Browns erroneously, might I add. Because shame on anybody who picks the Browns to beat the Steelers, especially on Monday night. So I'll say this. when When it's two teams that are paired up with each other and I have friends that like both teams... Mm. I go by the number of friends that like that given team, right? Uh-huh. Which is sadly why I pick the Jets and the Giants so often, because <laughs> I have lots of friends that like the Jets and the Giants. I oh, also I have lots of friends that like the Denver Broncos, right? Yeah. I get it. I get it. But I made a mental note of people who don't have that rule that picked uh, picked the Browns. Even people that aren't Browns fans. Like, maybe they're a fan of... Uh, an overrated Chiefs team, and maybe they picked the Browns. And I, like, I just want them to know that I saw that they picked the Browns. And, and uh, I'll just say this. I will, in solidarity with Todd, I will always pick the Raiders, right? Uh-huh. But what, what, who, so when it's Steelers versus Raiders this month, uh, this Sunday night, 
Raiders. You're Raiders? Oh. Well, get ready to slide down one spot. That's all I'll say. We'll see. Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You should listen to me because, Joe, I'm 2-0 and in the soon-to-be-named Network Fantasy Football League. Yeah? Yeah. I Over the last two weeks, I smashed and stacked We Need Wrestling. Both Brett and DJ went down, and this week I'm going to be de- I'm going to be slapping around Ronald Two Legs as I go on to be three and zero, only undefeated team in the league, might I add. Just saying, just it's saying. still early in the season, there, Adam. Well, unlike unlike Pigskin Pickums, uh, the fantasy league's already set because uh, there was a blockbuster trade, and Joe, I've acquired the services of Kenny Bagod Pickett. He's on my bench, so I'm. Uh, it's we can only go up from here. And again, I say we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that looks next week. All right, all right, we'll be back. I just feel bad that I didn't mention that I was one and zero last week, so I felt like I had to bring up that I'm two and zero this week. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Um, T public sale this weekend. We'll mention it next weekend. Next LVAC show isn't until December 29th, so you've got plenty of time. I don't know what that thing that's going on next Friday is. I think it's like unofficial, not part of canon, whatever. Yeah, um, I got the vibe that's very much like like an AIW Street Festival type of deal. Yeah. Where it's just like, hey, we're doing matches and it's free. I, I, there wasn't much details given, so I was curious. Yeah, nobody's reached out to me, so we'll lean that way. How about that, right? Gotcha. Uh, but we mentioned a couple times during the course of the show, um, the indies are thriving and never been hotter. <laughs> Nothing says that better than Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, a.k.a. IWTV, uh, internetwrestling.tv. Uh, use the promo code at odds if you're a new subscriber. Um, doesn't give you anything extra, but it lets Jerry know that you came to him from us. Yeah. And, and you know what else? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and Jerry is too busy blowing off other shows so he can go bowling on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, do we have an eBay affiliate link, Joe? Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, when you click on uh, links to various merchants on the site to make a purchase, this can result in the site earning a commission. Uh, affiliate programs and affiliations include but are not limited to the eBay partner network. Yeah. And, Joe, you said before that the indies have never been hotter than That's they true. are right now. Uh, well, podcasting has never been hotter than these podcasts. And those podcasts are Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark. We Need Wrestling, who did just release their episode before us, so technically they scooped and booped us. Oh, those uh, bastards. about that. Uh, Porch Talk, new episode this week. Go check it out. Long since, uh, long on hiatus. Viewer's Choice, Indie Wrestling Guide, Wings on Wings, Hiya Bussy, and Final Wrestling Place. <clears throat> and Hang final on. wrestling place. Hang on. I need anabolic steroids from this doctor right now. <laughs> anabolic steroids is a logical next step. Uh, go on. Steroids are awesome. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I, I don't care what anyone says either. Steroids are awesome. Yep. And Adam, I will rem- I will also mention to you, of course, you know, you mentioned soon to be aim network. All the shows in the soon-to-be-named network, anytime that they go live, or anytime that anyone from the soon-to-be-named network shows up on another show, you can certainly find it there. Uh, Just yesterday, Adam, uh, I was on the uh, hit show Tic Tac 90s Yo. Oh, really? 
I certainly was. Um, so it is a dabble verse adjacent show. Um, it was a way to hype up this Friday's uh, season premiere of Yo Remember the Nineties with Cardiff Electric, Obnoxious John, and El Horrible. Uh, they decided to do a, I'll say, expertly run game show. Um, Don't tell me if you won or not. I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> But if you want to see me answer questions um, with uh, about the 90s with a anthropomorphic talking potato and orange, and it's on video as well, so you get to see my smiling face when not wearing a hat either. Uh, I am out. <laughs> definitely go check out Tic Tac 90s Yo. Yo, uh, I got a message uh, on AdOddsWrestling.com. Every once in a while, somebody will message us through that. And they said that they checked out this podcast because of C- er, because of something called Tic Tac 90s. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I thought it was like, <laughs> like, all right, this is a bot trying to steal my social. And I didn't reply. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, thank you for listening to Joe over there and coming and checking us out. Uh, so you did a good job of plugging the website. They reached out to us through there, uh, yeah. so thank you. I'll, I will check that out uh, again because you have not spoiled immediately the results like you All do right. when you're on five star match games. I'll just say it was an expertly run game show. <laughs> All right, let's get to the best part of the show, Joe. I'm having a tough time with these today. I'm very sorry. Where the hell is it? Did I not put it in here? Money, money, money. Oh, oh I was gonna do it for you. Some might cost a little. Some might cost a lot. But I'm the $100 Vansky. And your figures will be bought. I mean, I sing the the regular jingle, so why can't I sing the replacement one? I don't know. Uh, Joe, did you buy anything this week? Uh, I did, as a matter of fact. So um, I mentioned uh, dabble verse adjacent stuff with uh, Tic Tac yo, uh, 90s Yo. Um, it's coming up. Adam, what sounds, uh, what sounds better to you? Staying home safe and sound uh, mm-hmm. or traveling to upstate New York and Rochester this upcoming March? Uh, safe and sound in my house. Well, um, less for the subject material of the evening with Stuttering John of the Howard Stern Show. Um, I did purchase tickets to this event. Uh, a lot of times these dabble-adjacent WATP events take place either like the same day as LVAC shows or the Mm. same day as my wife's birthday, so I can't go. Uh, this one is six months out. I have a feeling that the it's going to change quite a bit between now and then. Um, but Vinny uh, Paulino, who runs the comedy uh, Carl- comedy at the Carlson, the comedy club in Rochester, he's hosting the event. The aforementioned Cardiff Electric uh, is going to be there live and in person, making the trip all the way from Minnesota. Uh, so I purchased my tickets for that. I'm going by myself. I can't subject my wife to this nonsense and shenanigans, but I am going to be um, meeting fellow car defender 
and a loyal listener of this show, Matt Fish there. And it's going to be a nice Sunday afternoon uh, get together for us. Oh, okay. Yes. Interesting. I don't know what any of those words mean, but it sounds like fun. (laughs) (laughs) I know what Matt Fish means. All right, good. Yeah, I know what that means. Um, Is that all you got? That's all I purchased this week. Um, So, Joe, aside from LVAC and the things that I bought at LVAC, I didn't buy anything this week. Nothing on eBay. Uh, nothing, no toys pre-ordered or anything like that. But I will mention, uh, just my, real quick, my LVAC story as far as uh, my experience there non-show-wise. And uh, a lot of this was was on social media. It was on Facebook, whatever. Uh, so let's say MySpace. It was on uh, Friendster. But uh, obviously myself, Brett, and DJ all ordered the Ringside Exclusive Wheeler Yuta Blood and Guts figures. And... Uh, credit to DJ because he was actually the one I think that gave me the Iggy that they were in stock and that you can order like overnight shipping. And I think I was complaining last week that they weren't here yet, even like they were running late because I ordered my Yuta on like Saturday, the, like a week before the show and shows one day shipping. Uh, they didn't ship it until Thursday, but it did mm-hmm. arrive Friday uh, and I was able to take the figure to LVAC. So um, we get to the show. We, we went separately, but we kind of all arrived at the same time. And Brett and DJ were in line ahead of me uh, with maybe like 10 people in between waiting to get inside the venue. And when the doors popped open, uh, like I was kind of expecting like, and I get Wheeler Yuta's cool and all, but he's no Eddie Kingston. But like last year, everybody that was in line went straight to the Eddie Kingston line uh, versus this, where it's like, as soon as the doors open, it's spread out. Like everybody went in every single direction. And I think I complained after the most recent LVAC show that not enough people were out selling merch. And I'd like to thank them for taking my advice. (laughs) Almost everybody that was on the the card was out selling merch at the gimmick table. So that was awesome. Um, But, Doors crack open, a bunch of people go over to D'Lo and uh, Smoke Train, Charles Robinson, and... Charles uh, Wright. Charles Wright, I'm sorry. Charles Robinson. (laughs) That's the referee, right? That's Uh, correct. Oh, that's a Halloween costume, Smoke Smoke Train, Charles Robinson. Uh, But also Ron Simmons was there as a surprise, Uh, so that was cool for the people that wanted to get that picture. Um, So anyways, Brett and DJ are in front of me. They're also going to see Wheeler Yuta, but they stop at the charity table where if you drop off a perishable good, you get entered into the raffle because Brett and DJ are good people. But Joe, you know who's not a good person? Well, Vansky, because Vansky didn't bring anything. So Vansky went straight over to Wheeler Yuta and was the first person in line there. Uh, And I said to him, I said, hey, you know, would you mind signing this figure? He's like, no problem. He was cool. Um, I was like, have you signed a lot of these figures yet? And he's like, no, actually, this is the first time I'm seeing one in person. So I'm like, would you mind putting on there, like, first one signed? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And then he's like, do you want me to inscribe it to you or anything? And I'm like, no, that's good. Like, don't worry about it. Because I'm thinking, I don't want to say to Adam, you know? Uh, But then I'm like, uh, I'm not going to sell it. Don't worry about that. And he's like, I don't care if you sell it. <laughs> you know, so it was this interesting. Um, so we take the picture. I'm like, I thank him. I'm like, congratulations on the figure. And I walk away. 
And I then it kind of dawns on me that because like I didn't like stop and like donate food that like I would have otherwise been like second or third behind Brett or DJ. And I just kind of found that funny that it's like a dick move on my behalf, like unintentional. I completely forgot. I probably would have dropped off a can in order to win like a Super Nintendo and all the cool stuff that LVAC was giving away. But it was just one of those things where my non-act of charity ended up getting me the first figure and then it was just funny that like in a roundabout way i was mentioned on major pod by brian this week i don't know if you heard uh about getting that figure as the first one signed it was just a funny series of events that resulted did, in it but did brian say your name no he just said like he's like I, I saw in the group and i'm sorry i don't know who it was but did you guys see that, that somebody got the first wheeler you to sign figure and that he signed it as first time ever so he was explaining the story like a roundabout way but he obviously doesn't remember who i am did, i know a couple of weeks ago brian mentioned that he got um uh johnny silver uh prototype figure yeah did, did he mention who he got that from on the podcast no I, no, no i didn't didn't mention okay. it <laughs> okay it was a concerted effort to keep me out of there, but no, that's fine. Um, it certainly feels like that one. One time's an oversight, two times. <laughs> two times, yeah, yeah. But no, so uh, any any thoughts about the, the Yuda thing as far as like... No, listen, that's really cool. Um, you know, obviously Yuda's a young kid. Yeah, um, he'll have a, a ton of figures, you know. As, as his first figure, he gets a super cool Blood and Guts figure, which is a really cool line. Really sought after, like, look of those figures. Um... And like I said, he's a young kid. He's only going to go up um, in the world of professional wrestling. You know what you should have? In retrospect, Adam, mm. what you should have had him inscribe on there. And if 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 I had quick goat thinking, if I had clarity of thought a week ago, I would have had him right on the figure. Adam, sorry about the Iron Man match. Yuda. <laughs> I, I actually thought of just mentioning that, like, oh, I'm not, like, complaining about it, but, like, oh, I was there for that match, and, you know, I would lie and say that I really enjoyed it. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, but, like, I, I was just, like, talking about the figure, and I've mentioned a million times before, big star on TV or indie wrestler that, you know, is just from the area or anything in between, I, I like to get my picture, say something, and leave. You know, I don't sit there and talk to the people. So uh, I could have, because like, while a lot of people went to Yuta, I feel like just as many people went to Big Dan, just as many people went to Puff, you know, just, you know, it, it was very well balanced as far as there wasn't a ton of people in one direction. And I don't really think that I could be wrong on this. Somebody can correct me, but I, I think hardly anybody went to the nation of domination photo opportunity. Cause it was just so expensive. Oh, really? I, I, I want to say it was either 90 or $100 to get your picture taken with them. Like, no autographs. Just like, hey, here's your picture with the three of them. And, well, like, and I get it. It's the three of them. And, you know, it's like if you, $30 a piece or whatever if you saw them individually at a convention or whatever. But not for me, you know? Did they have a handler there with them? Uh I did not go close enough to find out. I'm sure maybe Brett or DJ can talk about that, you know? Gotcha. Because they, uh, they are the ones who told me the price. Like, they, they were interested in getting uh, some type of photo, whether it was with Ron Simmons or or something, you know? So they, they looked into the pricing for that. But uh, I will say, 
before, because uh, I did make a couple other small purchases when I was there. Uh, when I first started walking over towards the gimmick table, um, a very handsome man yelled, hey, cue ball, get over here. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was obviously two-time former Hall of Famer, WWE Hall of Famer, Sidney Bacabella. Um, he, Wait a minute, uh, him calling you a cue ball? Wait a minute. The irony, I know. Well, see, Joe, I am bald due to genetics. He is bald due to losing a hair versus hair match. So, like, he can grow his hair back if he wanted to. That's the difference. Very jealous of him. Um, but him and Channing Thomas and Avery Good had, like, uh, they were all together. Um, and once I got my Yuda figure signed, because he calls me over and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 know, the, I know the sticks, Sydney. I'll be with you in a little bit. Um, but once I got my Yuda figure signed and Brett and DJ did too, we all just ran the figures back out to the car because you don't want to carry around a figure all night. And when I came back in, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go hit up the gimmick table. Um, I did go over and I bought uh, a Channing Thomas shirt. Um, And they had a bundle deal where it was like, if you buy, it was just like, whatever. I'm not going to say the prices, but you save money if you buy a Channing shirt and an Avery Good shirt. And I'm like, well, I'm down for buying an Avery Good shirt because there was a bunch of them on the table that were like old Dasher Hatfield shirts. Uh, and I was like, I don't have that. I don't have that. But unfortunately, they were all like either small or like 3X. You know, there was nothing like there were no larges for Avery other than the ones that I had. Or I, I would have bought a shirt from him. But so I got a Channing Thomas shirt. And my last purchase, and this is actually credit to DJ as well. Um, he got a Mark photo with Max the Impaler. And like I thought that that would be cool to do as well. But. DJ pointed out that Max was selling little tiny Max buddies, like stuffed buddies that are only maybe the size of like a drinking glass. Uh, I don't know if he, you, did you see a picture of one of those? Yet? I did see the picture that you put okay. up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if I posted one or not, but yeah. Uh, so I bought one of those and I got a Mark photo with Max the Impaler, which is really cool and scary. But <laughs> that that's literally the only thing I, I bought this week is like I said, I bought uh I mean, I had the Yuta figure from a week ago, but I got signed. I bought the Channing shirt, and I bought the Max Buddy. Cool. So, again, a bunch of purchases, but nothing too crazy and outrageous this week. So I'm glad you you reeled it in this week. Yeah. Like I said, just just uh, stuff that, you know, if I was going to an indie show and I saw people I liked, I, you know, you buy a shirt, you buy a toy, whatever. You know, so it was a good time. Right. But that's it for me, Joe. I got one more thing, Adam. Uh oh. <gasps> All heat, no heaters. Uh oh. Adam. Yes. You remember the first line of zombie sailor toys, heels and faces. I do. There was uh there was a broski. There was a Hawkins. There was uh other people in that line. I remember it. Sabu, Dino Bravo, a Hebner. Yep. Yep. Okay. And you remember how long those figures took from pre-order to shipping, don't you? It's close to 14 months. It was 13 months. Okay. And I remember when those came out, Zombie Sailor said, we got the process worked out. We know how things are going to go. Next time, it's going to come around quicker, right? Mm-hmm. 
Now, Adam, I want to bring your attention to this tweet. I do tweets. I don't do Instagram. I don't do Facebook. This is a tweet from Zombie Sailor himself from May 22nd that says, Heels versus Faces Series 2 shipping update. They are wrapped up and leaving our overseas factory the week of June 12th. They will arrive approximately four to eight weeks after that via boat, depending on port congestion. Now, if I do my gazintas, Adam, they're leaving June 12th, and we're going to go on the high end of things, that these things are going to take eight weeks. June 12th, eight weeks, that puts us around approximately August 12th. Okay. Snow update. Oh, I was going to say, like, August 12th was, like, a month and change ago. I, I just assumed you had your figures. So, we get a tweet earlier this week, uh, Tuesday, as a matter of fact, from Zombie Sailor himself saying, Shipment for Series 2, docking this Saturday. That's the 23rd. That's, like, 12 weeks. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early pre-order customers to receive tracking numbers next week. So, I don't care about the uh, the the Bastion Booger figure. I don't care about the little Johnny figure. I care about my sad Scotty Flamingo with the cloth goods that was going to take forever to get to us, right? Yeah. So, if these things are docking on Saturday... And we're supposed to be receiving our tracking numbers next week. These things are on track to be less time than the originals, which took 13 months. But as of these things docking, we're at 11 months, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, again, I feel as though there was not a lot of transparency with this. Not a lot of updates. I don't feel confident when he said on May 22nd that these things would be arriving by August 12th, and then it took another six weeks for them to even get a mention. And also, I do want to point out that what you're reading right now on your screen, that is a tweet from MajorPod, which is kind of cobbling together stuff from other stuff, right? like from Instagram or maybe stuff he said on Facebook or whatever. Because if I'm not mistaken, that MajorPod blurb that you're showing me, that is the only reference to Johnny Gargano's figure out of anything, and that wasn't written by Zombie Sailor. Mm-hmm. Because uh, over the last like couple weeks, unless you can see something that I'm not seeing, all reference to there being even a Gargano figure has kind of disappeared from a lot of his stuff. Like ever since like that, you see that one there from May. Right. I think that might be the last time he even mentions Gargano. Um, and that figure was supposed to come out, I believe, before Series 2 or with Series 2. Um, and I actually, because I saw the same BS uh, posting from three days ago that he posted in the major group, where it was like, oh, good news, they're on a boat, they're, they're coming into the port, we'll have them any day now. And it was just showing the picture of Series 2. I asked, very respectfully, any update on Gargano? And his exact response is, when they are here, there will be an update. Okay. Yeah. 
So when he has them, he'll let us know he has them, Joe. And the Gargano was ordered in December, so we're at nine, almost ten months on that. Mm-hmm. Now, I also want to point out, Zombie does, because again, his social media isn't the best. Some stuff gets posted here, some stuff gets posted there. Uh, yesterday, he did post up on Twitter, the upcoming Heels and Faces 6-inch Brian Pillman figure is going to be insane. Once Heels and Faces Series 2 arrives and goes out, we will share all of the surprise figures we have been working on behind the scenes. Now, Adam, I don't want no shit about no surprise figures. Mm. I want to take you to this tweet from Zombie Sailor from January 3rd of this year. Breaking. Zombie Sailor Heels and Faces 6-inch scale figure act, uh, action figures coming this summer. That's summer of 2023. Uh-huh. First talent announced, of course, is Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Uh-huh. Series 1 will feature three more to-be-announced figures, officially licensed, premium quality, and there's a little mock-up, uh, kind of looks similar to the Double J Elite that got canceled. Um, and it says, coming 2023. Yeah. So ain't coming 2023. Didn't come no summer of 2023. Series 1 is going to be four figures. We know Double J. We know Brian Pillman. We got to at least wait until Series 2, uh, 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 the the Hasbro knockoff ship, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. does that include the real set? Does that include the real set and Booger? Does that include the real set and Johnny Gargano before we get a sniff on when the hell I'm getting my six-inch elite-style Double J figure? <laughs> I completely, honestly, we're still getting the renders or the prototypes or whatever it is of the Pillman. Um, I, I have not seen any mention of that Jarrett uh, anywhere, uh, so I would be shocked if that's even in the plans. I think it's and I, I don't want this for you, but I would not be shocked if it was like a Jedi thing where it's like, you're going to forget that I mentioned that, Joe. Like, it's not coming, you know? You know who's not going to forget that I, that he mentioned that, Adam? Hmm. Me! No, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, like, it's been so, – my point is, like, the same point I made with the Gargano, that it's been so long since they even mentioned it that they want you to forget. Like, in the case of the Gargano, they want to keep it out of the news, uh, the figure news, so that you'll forget how late it is. Um, In the case of the Jeff Jarrett, they want you to forget that they even teased you with it because it's not coming. So, because I I will tell you right now, I will bet you money, we're at the end of 2023, and you got to give me time. Like, oh, maybe, maybe there'll be a zombie sailor Jeff Jarrett, you know, elite scale figure six years from now, seven years from now when he's, when Jarrett like has won and then lost the AEW world title. Um, but like, I will tell you right now, there will not be a Jarrett figure like on that scale from zombie. Um, I'm going to say through the end of 2024, maybe I'm even willing to go so far as to say through the end of 2025. Cause I, it, it's just, he's, if he's not promoting it, it's not happening. I, I still hold out hope. And listen, I bitch about Zombie. He has bad customer service. These things take forever to come out. But he puts that Jared out, I'm going to buy it, right? Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I will buy that Pillman. Yeah. I will pre-order the Pillman. I will complain for the 12 to 14 months of how long it took. 
and then it'll arrive and I'll be like, yay, I got a Pillman figure. And then we'll do it all over again. It doesn't mean I have to like it, you know? And I'll close out the show in this segment with this. Good friend of the show. I'll be recording the Patreon show with him this weekend, Kevin Ford. Here's the list of the other retro-style figures that Zombie has announced deals with, okay? Mm-hmm. Barry Horowitz, Big Bully Busick, Bill Alfonso, Brian Pillman, Brooklyn Brawler, Jack Tunney, Mike Awesome, Mr. Hughes, Enzo, One Man Gang, Power and Glory, Roadkill, Road Warriors, RVD, Rock and Roll Express, Sex Ferguson, Slick, Smart Mark Sterling, Todd Pettengill, Ultimo Dragon, and Tajiri. Hmm. And so I if, will say, oh, go ahead. I was going to say we're that rolling it, out five figure, five to six figures every twelve to fourteen months. These are figures that aren't going to come out until twenty thirty. Yeah, and that's why I was saying that like you're not getting any of these. You're not getting a full assortment of the elite scale figures. It's not happening. I, Adam, I read a tweet where he said the first line is four figures. It's Double J. It's Brian Pillman. It's two more surprises. And it'll also be out in June of 2023. Summer of 2023. Oh, oh sorry. Summer. I, the, the short changed him two months. Technically, because the first day of autumn, I think, is Sunday. So he's got three more days to get that Double J to me, right? And would you consider a live pre-order as getting it to you, or does it have to be in your hands? For real? I just wanted to... I mean, obviously, if he says, like, coming summer 2023, like, you could leave that up for interpretation. Like, did he mean that they'd be in your hands, or did it mean that you can order it? But go on. I, I, I expected anything by summer of 2023. Yeah. A pre-order link, a color render. Yeah. Anything. Yeah, again, the fact that you haven't even seen it in color, you haven't seen a prototype, you haven't seen he hasn't talked about it. That Jarrett's not coming. That Jarrett has been forgotten or the rights went away or 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 AEW said you can't have a figure because we're making a figure of you. Something happened because you've seen the way he handles business. If he was still making it, he'd still be hyping it up. Just like he's you, hyping up the Gargano that he took everyone's money for, right? Well, he's not hyping that up because, again, like he has, probably has no idea when that's coming. And he's like, it'd be rather than be transparent and get people to cancel it or whatever, uh, like let's just pretend that it doesn't exist until I have it. You know? Okay. I don't know. I, again, I want you to have the Jarrett. I'm a betting man to say that that's never going to happen. The Gargano, he's, like, financially required because I'm sure he spent the money elsewhere, you know? So it's like he's kind of got to deliver that. Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that there will be resellability to that figure, especially, like, when it first comes out and, like, prior to, like, the 87 subsequent restocks that show up, um, like, when that Gargano shows up, I'm going to flip it because I don't want it anymore. I ordered it so long ago. Um, if it wasn't for its flippability, I would have just canceled it. Like I would have emailed him and be like, yo, like, enough's enough. And like, he will cancel the, the stuff. Most of the time he cancels orders without your permission because you've been mean to him. But uh, like I said, I don't want to cancel it because I want to get it so I can flip it. Right. But I still will order the, the smart mark when it comes out. 
I'll order the the Broski Nick Gage five year anniversary of their GCW match. <laughs> like I'll order all those, you know. But I'm gonna complain every step of the way. All right. That's it, Joe. Let's get out of here. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this was At Odds with Wrestling 260. For Adam, this is Joe saying be safe out there and enjoy some wrestling. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.